passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're not the man. I'm the man. Sometimes the man has to make tough decisions, okay? And here's one of them. Becky, you're suspended for 60 days. I'm not going to accept your apology. They may. I'm not, okay? Which means, let's see, that suspension runs out. Oh, five days after this WrestleMania. We need someone to take your place, someone with charisma, someone with charm, someone who knows their lane and they stay in it. We need someone who's going to take Ronda to the limit. We need Charlotte Flair. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello, everybody, welcome to Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. What a night. What a weekend. This is going to be quite the show. How are you, Wei? Doing well, yeah. A lot of things <laughs> happening in the rest I of the I thought world. by noon today, Wei, we were going to have a lot to talk about. And then the afternoon happened. I don't know how we're going to get through everything. This is going to be a pack-packed edition of the show. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's dive right in. Well, we have a big sponsor this week. Tonight's edition of Rewind to Raw is brought to you by ourselves. Post-wrestling, live in New York, Sunday, April the 7th. Postwrestling.com slash live. What do people have to enjoy? And what, what is in store for those to come to watch us live, way besides had, our presence? Well, I didn't know where you were going with that. I was like, did I miss <laughs> the memo? We actually got a sponsor? No. So, uh, well, I mean, this was more important than, uh, of course, anything. Yes, sponsored by ourselves. Uh, what people have to look forward to is a live Q&A that John and I will be doing the morning of WrestleMania. Morning, early afternoon of WrestleMania. Uh, we'll be taking your questions. And more importantly, we'll be there to see and meet and greet every single one of you who chooses to uh, join us. Tickets are $25 to the public, $20 for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. So go grab your tickets now. As Way said, $25, 20 if you're a patron. Postwrestling.com slash live gives you all of the information uh, to come check us out. The Broadway Comedy Club, noon till 1.30 will be the Q&A portion. And then we'll be doing a meet and greet afterwards uh, with everybody if you want to stick around and hang out. So go check that stuff out. But before we get into the shows that we have coming up this week, I do not want to forget. I've thought about this all week. We have a prize to give away. That's right. Yeah. 
So let's do it. Wait, I have the giant um, Royal Rumble uh, tumbler. I am I am circulating all of the names as you are pulling them up. Yep. Uh, I, I have pulled out the specific name. I have sent it to you in the digital space. It has just arrived in your hand. It is at the tip of your finger. Please read that name. All right. Um, there was a my delay. My page just loaded, so um, can you send it again? Okay. I am uh, I'm telepathically sending it now to your brain for you to uh, bring outside of your nostrils. And there it is. All right, we got it. Congratulations to Brendan Benter. Brendan Benter. I love that. We got the best names. Brendan Venter. Benter. Yeah. Brendan Benter. B, B, and then a B. Oh, Benter. I thought Venter. I no, like, no, oh, he's, no. This is a, he wants to go vent. No, no, no. Brendan Benter. He wants that, to, sounds like, that sounds like an NXT name. Yeah, he wants to bend. He doesn't want to vent. Gotcha. So congratulations, Brendan Benter. You win a shirt or a hat. Of your choice from the Post Wrestling Store, store.postwrestling.com, the official home of all of our merchandise. Uh, just send me a message on Twitter or Patreon, and I will get you sorted. Awesome stuff. Uh, we have a lot of news to get into, but first of all, this week on the site, uh, of course, this all leads up to Elimination Chamber this Sunday, but we will have uh, two shows up Tuesday night, as always, Rewind to SmackDown, and The Double Shot. I know everyone is excited now that that football season's done it's the return of total bellas after a one-week hiatus is that correct way yes it is it is back um uh nikki is having a meeting with uh his uh, uh the, the dancing with the stars partner that she um got along so well with who artem knows? artem yes who knows maybe some fireworks okay so way is going to be reviewing that anything else that you have on the menu um nothing yet honestly i haven't really thought of it so okay you'll be surprised uh, well, uh, as is becoming my, my tradition, ahead of King of the Ring 2002, I'm going to review the Raw before King of the Ring. And unlike the last one, there was an insane amount of stuff going on during this time. If you were, will recall, uh, leading into King of the Ring 2002, we had the Steve Austin walkout. And that was addressed front and center on WWE programming in the two weeks leading up to this event. So... I'm going to chat about that episode of Raw going into this King of the Ring and what a Raw it was. So buckle up, everybody. Thursday, we've got Up Next with Braden and Davey, as well as a live cafe hangout with myself and Way. We will be going live at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you are a double-double or higher subscriber of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you get to tune in live and you can watch us just talk and talk. And if you care, you can phone in and chat with us. We don't bite. So feel free to call in, and we'll be doing a preview of the Elimination Chamber on Thursday's show. Then on Friday, we've got Rewind Away number 30, the magical number 30, as we are going to be reviewing the aforementioned King of the Ring 2002, headlined by The Undertaker and Triple H, Hulk Hogan versus Kurt Angle, and the King of the Ring tournament. That's all going down on Friday. Saturday, brand new edition of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show, as Nate Milton is going to be reviewing The Rundown. And are we, oh, are we aware of who his guest is? I, I'm not sure yet. Um, he left it as a big tease at the end of his first show, and he never stated it. So, guest TBA, I guess. Yeah. And then Sunday. It is Elimination Chamber Day. Way and I will be live right after that show. Uh, again, if you oh, are oh, double-double. I, I do know who the guest is. Can you reveal it? Yeah, it's Jay Hunter and V1 from OSW. 
Oh, wow. A big one. Yeah. I can't wait for the rundown. Uh, so that's on Saturday uh, on the free feed. Sunday, Way and I will be live immediately after Elimination Chamber. You can tune in to watch us do the the show live if you are again a double double ice cap or espresso member uh the free podcast version will be up later that night we'll be taking your phone calls full rundown of the elimination chamber and whatever goes down in houston texas on sunday very i did that off the top of my head are you not impressed i'm very impressed good for you john it helps doing these updates because i write it and then it's just it's in my brain for a solid 24 hours you are uh, an encyclopedia of of information you are uh like a living digital calendar why thank you i really was fishing for a compliment there i i apologize let's get into the news lots of it to discuss uh i'm going to save the the stuff coming out of new beginning because way we're gonna be doing a full review of new beginning after raw so all the stuff coming out of that show uh we'll save for the actual new japan review sounds good because there was a Quite a bit of news from that as well. Uh, but today, I guess our, our top story is the status of Mustafa Ali. It was, the news was broken by Sean Rossap at Fightful.com that Mustafa Ali uh, is not expected to be part of Sunday's Elimination Chamber match uh, due to an injury he suffered. And uh, I was able to check on this, and I was told that after he did work the, the SmackDown house show on Sunday, it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they had him working a tag match. And afterwards, uh, he was evaluated and he was pulled from the current tour. And um, on top of that, this was like late this afternoon. I was just told that they have not uh, decided as of this afternoon who was going to replace him in the elimination chamber. So uh, barring some unforeseen circumstance uh, tomorrow, it seems that Mustafa Ali will be written out of this match uh, tomorrow on SmackDown. And I guess it's open to whoever they have fill that slot, which I would assume they would also have to put that person into the gauntlet match that they're promoting SmackDown around on Tuesday as well. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I guess uh, I, I've seen it suggested that maybe either Andrade or Rey Mysterio, if uh, you want to make that match kind of like a, a, an eliminator to see who gets to join the elimination chamber, you could potentially do that. Um, but Really bad timing for Mustafa Ali, the guy, you know, receiving kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be featured from 205 Live into the, the main event mix for the title. And, um, again, you know, like, if he was working with um, something prior to this, I wouldn't be surprised because it's, again, that that difficult of an opportunity to come by. Unfortunately, it seems like it might have caught, back, caught up on him. And uh, hopefully it doesn't affect his push all that much. Hopefully he can make a, a fast recovery. Yeah, and in in Fightful's report, it did add that Ali had assured WWE officials he could work, uh, but it just stated the promo- the promotion is going to err on the side of caution, which I completely understand that thinking. But you hope for uh, Mustafa Ali's sake that it's it's a really quick recovery, as he's he's got a lot of momentum on television at the moment. So hopefully, this is just a a small little setback. Uh, but unfortunate timing, given it's, you know, that's probably going to be the main event on Sunday, a great showcase for him. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, double or nothing. The pre-sale took place on Monday. So since Thursday, you could sign up. Uh, and on Monday, they were sending out the passwords that would give you access to buy tickets, uh, which went on sale today at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Of the tickets that were made available for the pre-sale, they apparently were gone in about 25 or 26 minutes, and 
Like this is going to be an immediate sellout. Whatever tickets are left for the general on sale, which is on Wednesday, they're going to be gone instantly. This has been a grand slam. And I, I guess the only question is how surprised people are. The demand for this show and the amount of interest in this company is enormous at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure that they would be able to sell out as quickly as they did. I mean, this is technically not yet a sellout, but I, I'm sure if they had all the tickets available today it's only it's only not a sellout because they have held they've obviously held tickets for wednesday so the public has at least a chance to get them Mm -hmm. like the 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 figure that that dave Meltzer was throwing around was that they had twelve thousand people sign up for the password and that's just so people can have access and who knows how many tickets those twelve thousand would have been purchasing so it's it's by their own um restraint that this did not sell out today they could have sold the whole thing out today Yep. Yeah. I mean, they could they could have sold it out on last Thursday after that press conference if they chose to release it then. Um, So we still clearly have not seen what the ceiling is for this group yet in these two shows. So um, between all in and double or nothing. uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure they couldn't have asked for a better reaction to their tickets. Yes. And Matt Jackson added, I think we need to try one in a bigger building. So maybe that's the goal that's now. Coming. Find, sure. find a bigger building. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Um, more news uh, coming out from today. Uh, Chris Jericho has announced he's going to be partnering with AEW for his next uh, cruise, which is going to be next January. Uh, he has announced dates for January the 20th through the 24th, uh, which is probably going to end up being the week leading into the Royal Rumble. Not that that necessarily means anything, but uh, we're looking at... Uh, just under a year away from the next cruise. And, you know, the first one turned out to be a big success in the end. And you heard so many positive reactions to the Jericho cruise way that, you know, you it, it was cool to hear that so many people had a great time. But it was after watching the Fire Festival documentary that I really appreciated, like, how this thing got pulled off without any problems. So... I think that that's a real big notch in their belt that they pulled this thing off and you've seen the disasters that are out there. And this was certainly not one of them. I have respect for people who could pull off like uh, club nights, you know, birthday parties after seeing something like that, man. And that had me really concerned for our uh, New York date. I'll just say, uh, so do not, do not watch the fire festival documentary. If you plan on putting on any events, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, you know, this Jericho thing, uh, uh, if if this all elite thing is any indication, it's 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 telling you that wrestling fans are very willing to spend on this group of wrestlers. And if all elite wrestling and the Bucks and Kenny are going to be a part of this cruise again, um, it seems like a perfect great opportunity for fans to interact with with those guys on a much more intimate level. Um, now is really like a hot time to strike, so it's smart of Jericho to make those announcements right now. Where would Chris Jericho be now? had his original pitch to WWE to use NXT talent on this cruise been approved? I don't know if it would have changed that m- things that much. Do you? You know, like in the end, he's going to... If, if it went offer. really well with the NXT talent and he was dead set on doing a second cruise, I think he'd certainly want to maintain that relationship with, with NXT. Not if he and, was a full-timer with All Elite. Well, I'm saying would... would would it have gotten that far? Would If Chris Jericho has the NXT deal locked up a year ago when he's planning this cruise, 
Is he showing up at All In? Is he doing anything beyond New Japan dates in Japan? I mean, I suppose it depends on how much money he's making off of this cruise versus how much he's making, you know, an All Elite. I would imagine that he might... The cruise cruise opened up his relationship with the Bucks and Cody and, and by extension, Ring of Honor. Like that kind Mm -hmm. of... It was NXT kind of being... Uh, shutting the door on him that he had to go to plan B, which was what he ended up doing. But he was he was already working with with Omega in New Japan. He was already wrestling outside of the WWE. I have to believe that he would still, you know, be entertaining offers from all elite wrestling, regardless of whatever, who, whoever was connected with the crews. Perhaps. But I, I think that, you know, they kind of cleared the way for him to, you know, go and do that show in Chicago, which I think was a, a direct result of just his, where his relationship was at that point with WWE that he was now more open to doing non WWE events. So it's just interesting to see yeah. of how this whole thing has grown and where Chris Jericho has now landed with a very, very lucrative deal. And quite honestly, I think to the fan base, he's trying to attract a cruise with AEW is a lot more attractive than a cruise with NXT talent. True. Yep. So it's, it's worked out great for him. MLW announced on Monday that Fusion is going to be moving to Saturday nights beginning with this weekend's show. They had been airing on Fridays since last April when the show debuted. They're going to be moving Saturday nights at 9. And then the, uh, the Espanol version will be airing on Monday nights. And uh, they're, still dis- they're still trying to figure out where they're going to move the YouTube release of the show to. Because it had previously been released Saturday nights at 6.05. And obviously it's not going to be put up at that time and airing before the show. So that's to be decided, but it seems that uh, uh, court Boward wanted to move this to Saturdays for quite some time, knowing that SmackDown's going to be ending up on Fox and you've got, you know, new Japan on Friday nights. You've got eh, impacts on Friday nights. It's there, there's a lot on Friday nights, Saturdays. You do have the occasional takeover. You do have, you know, consistent UFC competition, but it seems that, Moving to Saturdays was something they wanted for a while, so they're doing that. And hmm. I don't know. Do you, do you think that this is going to uh, make a difference, or do you feel that the majority are probably watching this online as opposed to on BN Sports, that it's going to be less of an issue what night of the week it is? From what I kind of gather, I don't really hear from many people who watch MLW on B and sports. I don't, I don't know how many people even receive the channel, to be honest with you. So I would, I would think a, lo- a large portion of their audience who keeps up weekly watches on YouTube. And um, if it's not going to be Saturday, one would assume that it would either be Sunday or Monday, right? Um, both days that I think are actually pretty decent for a wrestling audience. I think Friday and Saturday are actually both pretty bad. And, uh, to me, like on air, it's sort of like a bit of a lateral thing. But Sunday feels like a, a an ingrained wrestling day. Of course, you're going to be competing with pay-per-views, but uh, you'll be doing that with, you know, NXT TakeOver from time to time anyway. Maybe Monday as, as a shoulder program, but I could see people not really having the, the appetite for wrestling after three hours of Raw. Mm-hmm. No, apparently like their special last week by, by the standards of being sports did did very well for the station. I'm curious right now of what, because we don't get MLW viewership numbers. I mean, BN Sports is not a very highly rated network, but I'm very curious of their audience versus Impacts now. Like, it, it would not surprise me if MLW is now ahead of Impact. I'm sure a lot of it depends on coverage, right? 
yeah. of the channels. So that is uh, the move there. And the final thing here, the WWE did put up uh, a story about the latest class at the Performance Center to report, including a lot of names that had been out there that people were expecting. Trevor Lee, Rachel Ellering, Karen Q, Sam Shaw, Jonah Rock, ACH, uh, the tag team of 3.0, which is Scott Parker and Shane Matthews, Nick Camarato, Omari Palmer, and Ricardo Miller. Uh, The latter two were, I believe, college football players. Um, so that is the class. A lot of talent in there. A lot of talent down there in Florida. All right. That is all the news. If you want to go catch up on the rest of it, you can go to postwrestling.com. We're going to get into now uh, our review of Raw, followed by New Beginning in Osaka. Uh, but Raw takes us to Grand Rapids, Michigan. The Van Andel Arena. Exciting stuff. Triple H and Stephanie were out to start the show. And... They had Stephanie discuss this Sunday the Elimination Chamber View. The Chamber View. Wow. Okay. That's I thought. One. I think that's a better name than than what they call it. That's I I would. Cool. I think instead of this antiquated pay per view term, I mean, it's very few are watching it on pay per view. Maybe you incorporate the word into so it's like Extreme Rules View, Elimination Chamber View. Mm. Chamber View kind of kind of clicks, but. Ch- Chamber view works. Maybe the others are a bit of an awkward fit, but I I didn't think this sounded all that ridiculous. I'm like, that sounds like a cool name. You've invented something. That should be the camera inside of the pod. Elimination chamber view. Yeah. From the perspective of the guy in the pod Mm -hmm. or woman. They plug the matches. Uh, Hunter goes through the men's match, still promoting Mustafa Ali. They did throughout this show. And then they recap last week's suspension angle with Becky Lynch Becky comes out, and Michael Cole mentions that she crashed the live events over the weekend, and she is still suspended. Hunter apologizes for going over the line last week, accusing her of faking an injury. Becky ended up seeing her own doctors, which conferred with the WWE's medical staff, and they agreed with Becky's doctor's diagnosis that there is no tear or structural damage There will be a few weeks of rehab. She'll be cleared. Her suspension is lifted and the match is on. So much of this story feels like it it takes influence from, you know, recent events with Daniel Bryan, as well as perhaps uh, even like the Nigel McGuinness documentary making just the idea that, you know, the relationship between a WWE doctor and a uh, outside doctor is even like something that you can explain to a wrestling fan, I think is directly, you know, attributed to the story of somebody like a Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And that was kind of the end of this knee injury story, at least as it felt on this show, like maybe it's going to be revisited. She's still going to, you know, incorporate the knee injury into her matches, but it almost just felt like a way to kind of get around this whole clearance thing. And I, I didn't think with like, uh, ultimately satisfying payoff to it. It was almost like all that stuff from last week was for naught, and we're just going to get our way, get away from the injury aspect of this story. Yeah. Why do you think they just, they went ahead and just kind of cleared that up so quickly? I I feel they just want to get away from it. I, I don't know what the, the rationale was, but when that was such a heavy part and it was going into this, you know, this, was it a seed of doubt within Becky? Was it simple? I mean, maybe it was just something as simple. Like your reaction last week, Way, was, well, maybe she is faking this knee injury. Maybe she is insecure. And I, I thought the opposite. 
And maybe they felt, well, maybe we've portrayed Becky as being doubtful here. Let's eliminate that. Let's make it clear she is not faking this injury. And they made that clear in this segment. Okay. I don't know. Like, um, how, how much How much did you was she even selling this week? I didn't notice all that much. I mean, she had the knee brace on. She was kind of, you know, staggering on her way to the ring. I mean, it was evident. It wasn't just like she was gingerly walking down without any issue. Right. And she's been selling that thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. Stephanie says the match will happen if Becky can do one thing. And they explain that every action has a consequence. And all Becky has to do to clear the way to WrestleMania is to apologize to them for punching Stephanie and slapping Hunter. Becky says she does not trust the McMahon family who have been screwing people for decades and no one's going to steal her opportunity and she will fight anyone and says hell no to an apology. Hunter can shove it up his ass and Stephanie is pissed. Hunter says you have until the end of the night to decide if you go to WrestleMania and fight for your dream or will you choose to throw it all away? So it's a, a power struggle here as Hunter and Stephanie are going to wait for the next two hours and 45 minutes for Becky to humble herself and come back hat in hand, begging for her WrestleMania match. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Becky proceeded to be booked like she was Steve Austin in 98, appearing a thousand times on this show before the decision. Did, did Steve Austin ever actually apologize though? I mean, they did, uh, they did like show long storylines, if you recall, of if if uh, Steve Austin was going to quote unquote go corporate and join Vince McMahon, and he'd have to make his decision at the end of the night and and tease people that he's going one way before he'd obviously turn on Vince. Yeah. I mean, this felt very much out of the the Austin style of playbook of but all show long, but the teasing something they were never going to deliver on. Well, but the difference was that by the time it came for Austin to make the decision, he would always just, you know, kick and stunner the person demanding the apology. That's, you know, where I feel like the the the, the comparison ends cuz Becky did not do that on this show. No, no. And we'll we'll get into the psychology behind her apology. Yeah, I mean, I you know, setting this this show long storyline up, I think I was a little bit thrown off cuz I felt like last week they had laid some really great groundwork on telling that more psychological story with, with Triple H and, and Becky Lynch. Um, just uh, to me, I thought like setting those seeds of self-doubt, I thought what it would have made for a really interesting story, but it just felt like, like you said, that was completely kind of shelved here. That was wrapped up very t- uh, quickly. And instead it was a much more simple story of if you don't apologize, I'm going to ground you. <laughs> Literally, as you're talking about this, a friend of mine just sent me a text that just simply reads, that closing angle was awful. We, we so will you, discuss. Yeah, We will discuss. Bailey and Sasha Banks took on Nia Jax and Tamina and Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan in a three-way match. And the loser of the match will have to enter the chamber first. Loser as in the person... Who takes the fall. Yeah. So... Which- to me, it's like, just don't I, I would, tag I would in. Have a very, exactly, exactly. That My strategy would be just avoid being tagged in. I have nothing to gain by winning this match and everything to lose. Yeah. Why would I want to be in this match? Yes. I'd just run. So everyone had, well, we had 
insert promos from Bailey and Sasha, and they joked about their horrific feud over the past year, about brawling, their locker room attack, their friendship counseling, but they've been through everything, and nothing can stop them as they become tag champions on Sunday. This brought back many memories. It's been quite a year for both of them. <laughs> Nia and Tamina cut a promo, and Nia explained this match is all about physics. They are the size of the other teams combined. What? I don't know about that. They are the size of five other teams. They're, two of them are as big as ten others. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if those physics really work out. This is uh, this is right up there with Nia Jax's uh, three hundred ounces comment. <laughs> Math is not becoming her strong suit on this show. Hmm. And then in unison, they call them. They say that they're going to take everyone to the Samoan slaughterhouse. That's not such a bad team name, is it? No. Also sounds like a great kind of restaurant, like a yeah. all you can eat meat place. The Samoan Ooh, Slaughterhouse. Yum. I would go there. I would try it. Sure. Um, what I would not try is Golden Corral, which was presenting this match for us. Bailey is not letting Liv Morgan tag in with Tamina. So she's left in there with Nia and Tamina. And then Bailey blind tags and gets run over by Jax. Ruby then runs Sasha into the barricade and she takes a running knee from Sarah Logan. And after the break, Sasha is favoring her shoulder and taken to the back. And this is all we would see of Sasha. So she did take uh, damage here and then was removed from the match. But the damage was very safe. Like, I'm sure they, you know, even to, to be able to, to, to do this, to just that, you know, she has a certain level of clearance for physicality. But, I mean, there was nothing that bad at all about it. I read it as they're just making sure she's fine for Sunday and not doing anything strenuous. Cause there was zero tease after this of her being out of the match or anything like that. There was no follow-up to this, even though she was taken to the back by the officials and it was treated like an injury. No, it played to me like they were being protective of Sasha again, which I, I feel like if, if she is legitimately going through an injury, I would just kind of rather have them sit her out rather than having her to me. I feel like she ultimately looks weak Last week, first of all, just kind of being dragged out and just like laying on the apron for the entire time. And this week, being taken out by a shove into the barricade. Well, I think that's also, I think they want you to have that reaction that Sasha's not carrying her weight in these, um, like Bailey's the one who's got to shoulder all of this, pardon the obvious pun. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, Graves somewhat suggested it, but I, I, I mean, I do wonder if, if that's where they're going or if it's just... Something that, you know, you can't help but think. Naya and Tamina beat down Sarah Logan. Tamina went to the top, landed on the knees of Logan, and then Bailey's in. She's fighting Morgan, fighting Tamina, and then takes down Ruby Riot on the floor, hits an elbow drop onto Morgan, but Logan makes the save, hits the Bailey to belly to Morgan. Tamina super kicks her, and then Tamina gets Morgan to tag Jax, Samoan drop, and Nia Jax pins Bailey. And the story was that Bailey did not have someone to help her at the end, so Nia Jax and Tamina uh, win nothing. And Bailey and Sasha will have to enter first, and they will be joined by a SmackDown team, which they mentioned they would figure out on SmackDown who that team would be. So they'll probably do this exact same style of match on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. 
And I hope wh whoever is involved in that match just learns from this one and does Don't not participate. In. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, you know, put your hands behind your back and just avoid. Just go to the floor. There was a SmackDown promo plugging the gauntlet match and McMiz TV with Shane McMahon and The Miz interviewing The Usos. I am hoping for an impromptu wrap off. That'd be great. Elias was in the ring. I found this to be really funny. The lights are down, and as he starts, Becky is on the Titantron, and they cut away from Elias to go to this segment backstage where Finn Balor is giving Becky a pep talk, stating that he knows what it's like to be too proud for your own good. Don't let it get the best of you. And said it's better to wait and bide your time because he is doing that, and he's going to take Lashley's IC title when the whole world is watching. And he walks off, and Becky compliments his abs. Then Elias is reintroduced, and it cuts away a second time to a Seth Rollins video package highlighting his gauntlet performance last year on that match that went uh, over an hour and his performance. And they plugged that uh, he's having the match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, and he will be here tonight. We come back. Elias is here again, and he gets cut off by the Lucha House Party. And Elias starts yelling at them, complains that his album wasn't nominated from the Grammys. And then he goes to sing a song insulting Grand Rapids and he's losing his will to live. He needs beer goggles to think anyone here is pretty. It's a city full of losers and Lucha House Party gives him the thumbs down. Mm hmm. Yeah, this was sort of a definitely a bit more unconventional uh, of, of a way to interrupt Elias. But evidently it worked. Do you know that he played babyface all weekend long against Drew McIntyre? I heard about that. Hmm. He did have probably the best line of the weekend on the house shows. They were in Ottawa on Friday. And he cut a promo on Drew McIntyre saying, you're about as popular as Eugene Melnick here, who's the uh, not so popular owner of the Ottawa Senators. I had, I had no idea who that was. I wonder who fed him that line. I don't know. Maybe he's up on his uh, local news whenever he goes to these cities. Hmm. And then Kalisto was given the guitar and he started playing. You, what did you think of Kalisto's uh, guitar playing abilities from someone that plays the instrument from time to time? Um, I mean, it feels like he, he's, he, he's been practicing. It was just, you know, one chord and, and like a strumming pattern, but it feels like he's, he's been practicing and, and at least sounded impressive enough to win this crowd over. Uh, Mandy Rose and Sonia Deville, Fire and Desire, cut a promo. They have been through so much together, and they had a number of these promos. It was like the Iconics one last year, very different style. It was like multiple cameras, and I mean, they didn't say a whole lot here other than they're going to win on Sunday. Yeah, I'm guessing these are all dot-com interviews, right? Yeah, uh, which I thought came across better than the typical like insert promos that just feel so... Yeah. rehearsed and, and forced. These they're, had a bit more of a natural flow to them. They're way better than like the selfie promos. Um, I'll say like maybe the context doesn't really fit as well. Cause like typically we only see them as their characters here. We see them kind of almost out of character in a way, at least with the iconics. Mm. But yeah, yeah, it was, it, it looked, I like the way they looked. Bobby Lashley came out with Leo rush to watch the next match with Finn Balor versus drew McIntyre. And, Drew misses from the apron and runs his shoulder into the post. I know I complain about this spot a lot. The 
the guy that runs into the post, missing his target, and his shoulder goes into the post, there had to have been a new record on this show. Someone needs to put together a montage of the amount of people that ran their shoulder into the post on this show. It had to have been like six or seven. Yes, it's a spot they practice a lot. It's too much. It's too much. Balor goes for a dive and he gets tripped by Leo. And then he takes out Leo with a baseball slide drop kick. Then he nails Drew with the running drop kick, goes for the coup de grace, and is shoved off by Lashley. And the DQ is called in three minutes. And they then double team Finn Balor until Kurt Angle runs down. He fights off Lashley and Drew, puts Leo Rush in the ankle lock. Baron Corbin shows up, and this leads to Braun Strowman coming down. And Drew ends up pulling down Corbin to avoid the power slam. Baby faces are left in the ring, and we know where this is going after the commercial break. It's time for a six-man tag. I, I thought about as typical of a WWE wrestling segment as you can get. So, uh, and this also follows the announcements they have added uh, Lashley and Finn Balor for the IC title and Baron Corbin versus Braun Strowman for Sunday's pay-per-view. Awesome. I I cannot wait. Yeah. I mean, is the show going to be that short that they needed to fill the card with those matches? I guess so. Man. Man. I don't know what it is, but for me, like between, you know, your Baron Corbin's and, and Braun Strowman's and, and Bobby Lashley's and Drew McIntyre's and even Finn, like that mix is just, I feel like I've seen that combination a hundred times over the past year. So I'm just, I was really bored by it. Well, this, this match felt so long and I mean, it got hot at the end, but I thought this match went so long. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Angle was in with Drew for a while. He was going for the angle slam. Baron broke that up. They went through a number of commercial breaks. And then Lashley's in the ring. He goes to run at Finn in the corner. Finn, with the reflexes of a cat, got out of the way. And Bobby Lashley (laughs) ran into the post shoulder first. I hate it when that happens. How come none of these guys ever have, like, taped up shoulders to show the effects of these 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 posts that they're running into that are so painful. Can't they wear sh- shoulder pads? Um, yeah. <laughs> Balor gets crotched on the top. Bobby Lashley hits his, like, Stormbreaker. And the referee counts three. Even though Finn had his foot on the bottom rope, John Cone missed this. Mm-hmm. And the second referee runs down to tell John Cone what happened. And then I heard from John Cone, he is restarting the match. And I just had an audible groan. Me too. I mean, I, I thought this beginning of this opening six man just felt really boring to me. And I think it's more so for me, just the cast that kind of really bores me. And when it was over... I was not upset at all. Like I was kind of elated, but when they restarted the match, it was like, (laughs) uh, it just felt like they were kind of dragging this whole thing into like a full hour, which I wasn't really there for, but this audience was though. There was one match in the first hour of raw. That women's match was the entire match total in the first hour. Mm -hmm. And this, this one just felt like here is a great idea for a 10 minute match that we're going to stretch to 20 because we have a three-hour show to fill, and yeah. 
there's people that are injured and we have to fill the show with something. So the match restarts. Uh, they get the heat on Balor for a long period of time and he has no one to tag because Strowman and Angle have just disappeared into the abyss and then Strowman comes back from the dead rising up behind the barricade. Balor tags him. This gets a big reaction and the crowd does get into the end of this. There's running shoulder tackles by Braun on the floor. Angle even hits Baron with a German suplex on the floor and then Lashley gets caught as he goes for a spear into the corner and is hit with a power slam from Braun. Finn goes to the top. Coup de Grasse and Balor pins Bobby Lashley. So finish made sense with Finn going for the title on Sunday. Um, you know, if you're going to go back and rewatch this, watch the last two minutes. And that is it. Yeah, that can kind of be said for like most of these matches. Unfortunately, it's just kind of their style. But, you know, like you and I might have been pretty bored with this. But listening to the crowd, though, I don't really feel like they felt the same way. You know, it worked for the audience. They didn't seem tired throughout it. Um, and they, they got were tired they after this, though. They were very tired after this, yeah. Then we got the text on the screen that read Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens was at a bowling alley. And I was really hoping he would have to do a selfie promo while trying to bowl. But he did have this phone station sh- stationary. It was yeah. a no-hand selfie promo. He says that during his time off, and Kevin Owens looks in great shape. Like, he has dropped weight. Um, he, he's looking good. Sure, yeah. He's spending time with his family. He's been watching Raw SmackDown, and he said it's been rough to watch. But he, he provides context that it's been rough to watch because he's seeing others do what he does best. And he doesn't know where he's going to be showing up. He doesn't know if he's going to be put on Raw or SmackDown. He's about a month away. And then he says, watch this. And he proceeds to bowl the ugliest gutter ball you are going to see. And this was the antithesis of a Mr. Perfect vignette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, like, why would he change brands? Uh, who knows, Way? I, I, don't, I don't know what goes into the thinking here. Sorry I asked. Um, this was, a, was sort of a strange video. Was it just to remind us that he's still around? That he's still alive? If he's not going to be back for another month, is there was there a point to this, or was it a, a misdirection? Beautiful day by you two. This was not. <laughs> no. I'm you not imagine real... Hunter Hunter showing up after all that time off, and he's in a bowling alley, shooting and a he... cell phone video. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then he misses. Well, I'm not. I'm not really so sure about the point of the gutter ball either. Was it was it to show us that he's a buffoon, or or was it just him trying to be funny? They might have just told him to hey. Cut a promo, and this is what he sent them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, so. hmm. I don't know. I don't think he's coming back as a bowler, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about this too much. But anyway, that was it. He said he'd be back in about a month. Yeah. Charlie interviews Becky Lynch, and she asks her. Charlie's gimmick is clearly now she's the shit disturber interviewer. Isn't that everybody's gimmick? All their interviewers? Well, the others, I feel, are... Are not intentional. Charlie's is clearly ask questions to annoy the subjects. And she asks her, what will you tell your fans if you refuse to rep- uh, apologize and blow this main event? And she says, it's none of your damn business, Charlie. And she walks off. She's a provocative uh, interviewer. You know, she, she's like a she's like a TMZ interviewer, I guess. You just want to get that reaction on camera. 
That should be her gimmick. She just goes yeah. around with her phone, and you're just seeing it from her perspective. She's just like barging in on people. See, but if you were Charlie, I'm sure you would be pissed too. Like she has the worst relationship with that. All of these people, they're always just like storming out and like, you know, they don't say hi or bye. It's just like, it's just negativity constantly. It's like Twitter. I guess so. Nikki I'll Cross. To, I'll say hi to you on Twitter. Sure. You never have though. Well, I could start. Hey. Just, just a nice hi. How are you doing, John? Yeah. You having a good day? No, I'm not doing that. I did um, every 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 couple of months. I, I try this. So last week, I I didn't check my Twitter mentions. I think for it's just cl- for how long? It- for a whole month? The week. The week. Oh wow. Okay, and mm-hmm. you just let it go. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I'm still my notifications are just they're at the max right now. Do you ever like just like discard emails? Or texts? I texts are sometimes when I get a text from someone that's requiring. I I always feel compelled like to respond to a text. Like I can't put that off. Like they know I can see that. It's not you can't just lie and say, "Oh, I didn't see your text that you sent me." Like it's impossible to miss a text. So I almost feel like I have to, and it's a little intrusive. I won't lie. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, But how about emails? Um, sometimes I'll ignore emails. Yeah, sometimes. Not from you. Not a problem. Yeah, I don't, I I mean, I think it's great. Like, who says we have to respond to everything, right? No, I think you, you, you use your selection. Yeah. Like, I don't feel, just because you, usually it's when, when someone's asking you to do something. I was like, just because you found your email does not make me compelled. And I, I don't like to say no in response to things. So sometimes I will just not respond, but that's on me. That's my own hangup. We're avoiding this next match. Nikki cross Ruby riot. Um, boy, are you aware Ruby riot is taking on Ronda Rousey for the women's title on Sunday? Yes. This was announced Friday night on Twitter. And I think it was mentioned once on this show. You could easily watch this episode of Raw and have no idea Ronda Rousey is having a match on Sunday. Hmm. Well, I guess they announced it a lot here. They announced it at the beginning of the show, like with Triple H, right? That's right. She did. Li- he did list off the matches. Yeah. It's not a, a show that, you know, people are going to buy tickets for. Or sorry, it's not a match that people, it's not a marquee match. You know, it's really, it really does feel like it's an exhibition. And, you know. I'm kind of looking match. forward to it. Like, yeah. it's not a very big promoted match or anything like that. But I, I think mm-hmm. Ruby Ride is one of the better female performers. I'm kind of looking forward to it. You know, mm-hmm. six, seven minutes. Yeah. I think it'll be a solid match. Um, not much story to it, though. No story to it, basically. Um, <laughs> this was so important, this match, that they cut to Ronda in the back with Becky. And... Yeah. <laughs> like, just Man, the- it's, it sucks for Nikki Cross. And it like I don't know what they were thinking with the, all, all of those NXT call-ups because... I feel like maybe uh, Otis and Tucker are probably, you know, have maybe the most uh, success of everybody. But everybody else is like, Nikki's just here. She's not really doing anything. EC3, I guess, got a win over Ambrose. But that meant nothing. Uh, Certainly meant nothing by tonight. Lacey, we haven't seen. Who else am I missing? 
Is that it? Lacey, Heavy Machinery, Nikki Cross, EC3. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, L- Lacey, they haven't done anything since the Rumble with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe they're just waiting to get through Elimination Chamber where all the women were in the chamber match. It's not like right. you can really, if you're not putting her in that match, it's kind of hard to program her with someone. So maybe they're just waiting until I mean, after Sunday. That's what they did with Nikki Cross here, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, crowd is pretty dead for this. Uh, Ruby kicked her in the ribs, yells that she's the next champion, and then Cross sends her to the floor. Hits a running crossbody, and then there's four arms with Ruby behind the ring skirt. Crossing gets knocked off the turnbuckle inside the ring, hit with the riot kick, and Ruby Riot wins 536. Mm-hmm. I found the match a little bit clunky. Um, certainly, regardless of that, though, th- there's just no heat for it. Um, I think nobody sees Ruby as you know any real challenge or real contender, but again, that doesn't mean that that match won't be good. Um, I think Nikki Cross... Uh, they haven't really done that much with her personality. Like, I don't understand debuting all those guys at the time that they did, because right now you've kind of lost that freshness with a lot of them. So by the point, by the time EC3 finally speaks, I'm probably not going to care that much. By the time you tell me where Nikki Cross is going to end up, either on Raw or SmackDown, I might not care that much anyway. I'm guessing we won't even know until after Mania. So it's just going to be months of these guys being free agents, right? Yeah. It's um like it's the timing the, free- the timing of debuting all those guys was really strange. I think it was, you know, it was in December when they announced that they were all coming up as a way to kind of shake everything up and Oh yeah, they really shook think- things up here. Well, that's I think that was the only reason they they didn't take, you know, the key guys or women from NXT. They took kind of the like middle rung people that were heavy on characters. And I, I don't think I've come up with much ideas. Like, I haven't seen much here. And the big one was Lars Sullivan, which got, you know, detoured. Yeah. Seth Rollins comes out. He recaps his past year, winning the IC title, defending it on six continents. And this was the year he finally felt like Seth freaking Rollins. Yeah. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. Then he punched his ticket to go to WrestleMania and he was on top of the world. And then the bottom dropped out the night after the rumble, when he took six F fives, the bad news in the bad news is he's in a lot of pain. Perhaps it's some wear and tear and from all the years and taking those F fives, he says was like nothing he has ever felt in his career. But the good news is after all those F fives, he's still here. And if he can fight, then he can stomp and if he can stomp, he can beat Brock Lesnar. And he doesn't care the cost and goes on to state that if WrestleMania is the last match of my career, and before he can finish, Paul Heyman comes out. Heyman teases that Brock Lesnar is here, but he is not. The fans boo and says that Seth is pontificating on the notion that all men are created equal, but they're not. Seth Rollins' DNA doesn't match Brock Lesnar's DNA. And he says that Seth is a great athlete. He's a WrestleMania main eventer. But Brock is a beast. And if Rollins goes into this match expecting to take all of that punishment, it's called a suicide mission. And if you're 
willing to have your last match and take that punishment, you're going to be the architect of your own demise. And Rollins says, I don't care. Lesnar has held this industry hostage for two long years. And we just reported record revenue and the most profitable year in our company's history. (laughs) And he will not stand for this. He will be that martyr to save this company. He will sell his soul to the devil and burn in hell if it means Lesnar doesn't leave WrestleMania's champion. And that isn't a prediction. It's a spoiler. I thought this was a hell of a promo from Seth Rollins. I thought he sounded really great. Sounded like a real main event baby face and very passionate. I mean, I'm trying to think of like when he was heel champion, corporate champion, Seth Rollins, how bad I thought he sounded in, in a lot of those backstage promos and as a heel. <laughs> yeah. But like here, like it's, it's totally different. You know, it's, it, he sounds like the type of guy that you, um, what he sounds like a baby face that you don't want to fuck with. And yeah. he's taking on the guy that is the heel you don't want to fuck with. Like, and so- I thought they, they they set this up really well. Like He felt like this is the guy that is going to take this fight to Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was a really strong segment. Probably the best segment on the show. Followed by, this is where I considered the segment over for my my qualifier. Dean Ambrose then comes out. He gets into the ring, and he says he has one thing to tell Seth. Slay the beast. And he gives him a nod. And he goes to sit ringside, and Seth is grinning. And that, to me, was the end of our feud that started over cancer. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. They're friends now. Yeah. Yeah. Water under the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, he's a baby face now. <laughs> cool. What a turn. The Iconics cut a promo. This was like the same promo that aired last week on TV. And Dean was in the ring and they go to break. And I guess I got distracted with something because then I'm watching this segment with Alexa and Becky and then Chad Gable and Bobby Roode come out. And I'm like, where did Dean go? And I realized I had, I had hit pause, and I had then hit live, and I had totally, I had to oh, rewind oh no. on my player to go back to find Dean Ambrose. I was like, "What happened to this guy? Did he literally turn into dust?" Uh, I just remember him standing in the ring as they went to commercial. I was like, "Did they just leave him there for no match?" He did take on EC3. I'm glad I went back to to grab this this match from my memory. Um. Corey Graves was completely supporting EC3. So Dean is a babyface. I take it EC3 is a full-fledged heel, correct? Yes. Okay. I, I think so. Yeah, he's, think so he's not a babyface. I guess not. Um, EC3 hit a missile drop kick and did a delayed vertical suplex. Yep. Yep. It's Maybe the most, a, the most impressive. Kenta Kobashi, clearly, an influence. Wow. Or Bobby Lashley. Something that... Um, you know, Kenta Kobashi and no other greats did was spell out their initials with their hand. Uh, KK. <laughs> yeah, he never did that. <laughs> he made a E with the fingers, a C where he cups his hand, and then the three. And he's really lucky. He's got the E and the three. It's the same damn signal. 
Really no, clever. He's, he's really proud of his name, this guy. EC3. Yeah. And he hits a running elbow drop. This is his people's elbow. And then runs shoulder first into the post, <laughs> missing Dean. They should, like, put pins, like, <laughs> nails into the, yeah. into the post. Yeah, puts a, like, electrify these things. Yeah. Dean hit a spinning side slam, and he climbs to the top. He's knocked off balance, but then EC3 gets caught by the ultimate geek move. He falls into a small package and is caught by Dean Ambrose. EC3 loses his first match on Raw. Well, yeah, I mean, a case of 50-50 from last week, right? Awesome. I mean, uh, what makes it worse is that, you know, you have somebody beat Dean Ambrose, which should be a big thing. The crowd did not react to it at all. You gave the win back to Dean Ambrose this week. And the crowd was not any hotter. So I'm not sure what they expected to be different this time around. Like, they simply have not done any sort of job of explaining to the audience why they should care about this guy, EC3. Dean Ambrose himself is already not all that interesting with this audience. But to have him in there with a guy who's basically a generic, nameless creative wrestler right now in EC3 is just sort of a a killer of a segment. Yes. What was him yelling out EC3, the end of the, the mute gimmick? Well, he, he's been doing this. Like, he shouts in ring. It's just like he hasn't spoken into a microphone. Oh, I see, I see. They're saving so that. That's Maybe that's... he's shy. Maybe he's he's uh, nervous. Well, he, he wants to talk, but they keep taking the mic away from him. I just, I think they're wasting a lot of time. And, and I think it's clear between this, between Nikki, between um, even, even uh, what is it, uh, Heavy Machinery, I feel like the way to bring these guys up was... was to me, has been a big failure. Alexa Bliss was with Becky Lynch and told her not to apologize because it will show weakness, and a lot of them look up to her and wish they could be like her. I thought Alexa was pretty funny here. Becky knows if she doesn't apologize, that frees up her spot in the title match. Bliss denies her ulterior motives and says, uh, Becky says, there isn't a genuine bone in your body, Alexa. And... She won't be the man anymore. She'll be the Irish girl that swallowed her pride and sold out if she apologizes. Becky says, the only thing I'll be selling out is WrestleMania. She walked off. I do like segments like this where the heel is trying to outsmart the babyface, but the babyface is two steps ahead and is not falling for the the plot. Mm-hmm. I think that's always a good thing to do with babyfaces, and it seems so obvious, but I watch so many times when the babyface is outsmarted that... I am going to go out of my way to applaud this this psychology when the baby face outsmarts the heel. So you feel like Alexa's intent was to get Becky to not apologize. So she'd be out of the match. And and therefore, as, as somebody watching this from the audience, I'm supposed to want Becky to apologize so she doesn't listen to Alexa Bliss. Well, you know that Alexa is not being genuine here. And yes, the audience can see through. But regardless, as a fan of Becky and her I, wanting her to step up to the McMahons, I, I kind of want her to listen to Alexa. Not for the reasons that Alexis, Alexa probably wants, but I, you know, I, I want Becky to not apologize just so she could stick it to the McMahons. Well, that's one thing. But you don't want to present her as being manipulated by the heel. No. So uh, my, my, my question is then what was the point of, of the segment? You know, am I supposed to coming out of this? Am I supposed to want Becky to apologize or not? I think it's just you know, it's it's people making different cases. But Becky is is ahead of this. She is not going to be 
manipulated by any of these people that are just trying to um, trying to serve their own good here by by outsmarting Becky and trying to play on her her emotions here that she's shouldn't apologize. I didn't mind this at all. In fact, I liked it. Chad Gable and Bobby Roode versus the Revival for the Raw Tag Titles. Um, this this was an interesting match to watch. Um, Dawson cheap shot Bobby Roode early on, and then Gable came in, and the Revival were sent to the floor with suplexes, and Gable then hit a top rope moonsault to the floor, and they went through the commercial. Crowd was not into this at all during the beginning. I think they were a very tired crowd. Um, but these four worked really hard, and I thought by the end of this, they had the crowd into the match. They're a tired crowd, and these just these just these are characters that are not over. Gable hit a bunch of suplexes. Rude is down on the floor. They go to a second commercial break as Gable's trying to make the hot tag, but Bobby Rude is not there. Then they hit a double team uh, maneuver onto Gable where Dawson lifts him for a, he's lifted up for a gory special. And then Dawson hits a face buster. Uh, it's almost like a reverse heart attack is what it looked like. Um, they did a blockbuster into a bridging German by Gable. As they came back here, Dawson clipped Gable's leg for the save. They're going through different near falls. Rude then takes Wilder and crashes into them as they're going for a pinfall attempt. There's a blind tag by Wilder. Gable then flies out of the corner for a reverse cross body off the middle turnbuckle, but jumps into the shatter machine and gets pinned. And the Revival win the tag titles, and Rude and Gable look devastated losing these titles. Yeah. Um, You know, this was a case where I thought the action was excellent. The crowd was dead for most of it. But, uh, you know, like with a lot of WWE matches, they definitely got them by the end. They had a lot of time to tell their story here, the Revival. And um, this really was a great match, but um, crowd was not really into it. Um, but the match was really good, really. I liked the match a lot. Um, I thought, you know, they deserve credit that this was not a crowd that was into it, but they, I thought, got them by the end. And I liked the fact Rudin Gable really played up the loss and, and made it seem like this was an outcome that, that really mattered, uh, yeah. being that they lost the tag titles. So, mm. I mean, I would much rather have seen them announce that these four are going to have a rematch on Sunday than getting Braun and Corbin yet again. I would much rather just see this get 20 minutes at the pay-per-view. Yeah, I I agree with you, I think, for a match quality-wise. But I think the, the, the bigger concern for me is is not in-ring, because I know that these, these four can do it, um, especially if you give them, like, 30 minutes like they had here. I want more of a story. I want personality. I want, I want actu- actually a bit of character for me to to really kind of sink my teeth into like the feud as it, as it exists. It's just like four bodies having a really good match, which is good, but I'm not really going to kind of, you know, um, look forward to it. Charlie interviewed the revival. They said they're the best tag team on the planet taking a, uh, they didn't say the universe. Yeah. They said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and everywhere else in this world. What they said. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They plug Ric Flair's birthday celebration that's happening in two weeks on Raw from Atlanta. And then the final segment involved Becky, Triple H, and Stephanie in the ring. And Stephanie, with the most true words ever spoken, said, it's been a long night for all of us. Mm-hmm. Hunter tells Becky to shut out all the noise. They want to work this out. Becky still thinks that Hunter and Stephanie don't want her to be in this WrestleMania main event. She does not trust them. 
She acknowledges that she attacked both of them last week, and she understands that two words will lead to her dream match, and the audience starts chanting, suck it. God, I wish. Man, (laughs) I wish she said that. That would have been the coolest thing. Uh, It'd be great with Hunter. Oh, my God. I was begging. I thought, I thought, no, they wouldn't have scripted that per so perfectly. I thought that would have been the, the, the most perfect thing. But no, I don't think they'll be doing that in 2019. Becky Lynch stands up to the authority with her middle fingers in the air. She said, I'm sorry. Man. Yeah, I mean... Listen, the, the swerve was to come. Like, it was designed this way so that you think that Hunter and Steph are the bad guys, but in fact, it's it's not them who are the bad guys, but somebody else who is. And here, I guess we're supposed to be okay with, with Becky apologizing as a result, but I don't like it. You know, I feel like this is just, to me, like Steph and Triple H are still, they still look like the parents, you know, grounding the kids here and having Becky just kind of allow this to happen. And just, you know, um, uh, uh, just just do do what they ask, I think, makes Becky look weak. She does not shake their hands. And then she is asking them to reassure her that her path is now clear to WrestleMania. Says, no one is taking my dream away. Hunter says she is going to WrestleMania. That's it. And they go to leave. And Becky says, all right, then. And she starts cutting a promo on Ronda Rousey, who comes out, and she walks into the ring, but then they are interrupted by Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon walks out and agrees that this could be one of the greatest main events of all time, and he had a much bigger struggle uh, stating that than I did. But Becky thinks that she is bigger than the WWE, and Vince says she has a bad attitude. And that goes for you as well, Ronda both of you in your bad attitudes and says that Becky is not the man. I'm the man and suspends Becky for 60 days, which means she'll be suspended right through WrestleMania. And he's doing this because he is not accepting her apology and they're going to need someone else for the match with charisma and someone who can take Ronda to the limit. They need Charlotte flair who comes out, And we go off the air with Vince McMahon announcing this is the new match for WrestleMania. I guess we couldn't even we couldn't even have a line to entertain the thought that Ronda could possibly lose this title on Sunday. It's like not even a (laughs) thought in the world that there's this (laughs) obstacle on Sunday. This is the main event of WrestleMania. You kind of forget that she's she's got a match on Sunday. She is defending the title (laughs) on Sunday. This is the most meaningless title match Uh, ever. They might as well just made it a a a non-title match. It should have been. It's a sparring session. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I did not like this at all at the end. mm Mm-hmm. I I thought there was a way to do this as well. Like almost that Hunter and Stephanie are the ones that Becky is kind of pushing around. And like, to me, it's, it's building up to some confrontation at the end with Becky and Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon is just being an asshole. He's being Vince McMahon to Becky and Becky gets just pushed to the limit and tears him apart with a scathing promo and then you could do all this other bullshit, but at least make Becky seem like somebody that 
the audience is, you know, she's standing up for herself, that she's not just being, you don't want to present her as like meek. Like she's, she's, she's faced with this, uh, she's being forced into this apology and she's doing it because she's being lowered. I just thought that th- there was a way to get to this exact same ending and cliffhanger about whether she's going to be in the match or not without having her reduced by this, having to give this apology and see her in this light. Like she's been, she's been humbled. I think she should have just said, suck it. When she said that, that she had two sure. words. And then they say she's suspended and yeah. you're out of the match now. Your Charlotte ego Singh. has gotten your, the best of you. Yeah. I like, thought you could have done all that. I and then that at least been. you maintain like, here's this badass who is not going to conform even, even though it makes no sense. Like, remember, remember when Conor McGregor refused to show up at that press conference and he ended up losing his main event spot at UFC 200. And it was a stupid move. He would have made way more money headlining UFC 200 than he would have a month later against Nate Diaz at 202. Just the nature of 200. But he didn't because he was, he was, it was a fuck you to the UFC. And there's a reason that audience, that his fans live and die with everything. Because they believe in Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is never going to uh, compromise for anybody because he doesn't need to. He's bigger in his mind, than the UFC is. Yeah. And I, also, I think that's what you want in your babyface stars. You want someone who believes, I'm, you're lucky to have me. I'm not lucky to be here. Mm-hmm. I, I was also um, kind of, a, uh, I, I didn't really like the way Stephanie and Triple H were, by the end were portrayed here. Like, they were doing this whole thing very straight-laced, and by the end of it, you realize that, hey, they are true to their word. They, uh, you know, they 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 uh, allow Becky to continue with the main event after she apologized. But am I supposed to feel that way? From from all indications, it tells me that they are looking to build to a match eventually between Stephanie and Becky Lynch. That's why they kept showing the the uh, Stephanie kicking Becky's knee in that replay over and over. And to me, I felt like Becky just apologizing like that to me kind of killed that heat a little bit between her and Steph. Um I just wouldn't have had her apologize. I would have had her stand up to them. And you could have just had Charlotte come in the the exact same way. That was it. That was raw. That's how we went off the air. And uh, Elimination Chamber is on Sunday. Are you excited for the Elimination Chamber? No, not really. I'm looking forward to the men's match. Um, You know, I'm... That's about it. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that men's match is going to be great. Really great. Um, that's about it. That's where my interest lies. Yeah, What's uh, what else is, is on? Like, from the raw side of things, I can't tell you much that I'm really interested in at all. Uh, um, I mean, it's just, you know, we have the Women's Elimination Chamber match. We have Rousey and Ruby Riot, uh, Finn Balor challenging Bobby Lashley, Braun and Baron Corbin. No, no, interest, no interest in any of that. I, I think Ronda versus Ruby has some curiosity. I'm always interested to see how Ronda performs on, on a big stage and what somebody like Rudy, Ruby could do with her. Um, I think Andrade versus Ray should be interesting as well if they keep that match. Um, that hasn't been announced, though. Right. Yeah. But it so. could be if they if they throw that on there. Um, yeah, and then you have the Usos against Shane McMahon and The Miz. Mm, yeah. And Buddy Murphy versus Akira Tozawa. Hmm. So, I mean, it's not a very big show. No. 
Uh, do you want to go to feedback first, or do you want to go to uh, New Japan? Uh, what do you feel like? Uh, let's do New Japan because we have some feedback uh, for talking about both okay. shows. So. Yeah, let's let's do all that at the end. Okay, new beginning in Osaka. Uh, we had Kevin Kelly and Don Callis on the English commentary call. And starting things off was Satoshi Kojima, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Jushin Thunder Liger versus Minoru Suzuki, Takeshi Azuka, and Takamich, Takamichinoku. Uh, as Azuka is down to the final 10 days of his career way. Yeah, there's an opening VTR that, that started the show. And it, I mean, again, I don't speak Japanese, but I, I thought this thing did a great job of explaining the Tenzan Izuka story. Just from seeing the images of like a young Izuka with full hair before he started to do the claw thing. Um, him turning on Tenzan and then their uh, eventual breakup and uh, leading directly into this this match. Tenzan was wearing a friend's t-shirt with him and uh, Izuka to remind him of their former team together and that's, wanting to... Was that the name of the, of the team? Uh, well, that's what it said on the shirt. I want to know what the... That shirt is awesome. It's so great and yeah well i guess now that the best friends are gone they have a clear path to becoming at least the, the friends. better friends just no, friends they're, just they're friends. not best friends yeah they're acquaintances yeah this is like a real shirt i'm you know please inform me if, if there's a proper name but oh this shirt's amazing it's it says friends and then it uh, on the bottom <laughs> there's a banner that reads hey brother <laughs> <laughs> this is the coolest shirt Oh, my God. So uh, Tenzon wants to tag with Izuka again. And that's that's the whole tease that they're doing here. Uh, Suzuki and Kojima were in for a bit, trading strikes. Um, they got quite a bit of time here for, for an opener. Uh, Tenzon had the Anaconda Vice onto Izuka, which was broken up. 3D got delivered to Izuka. And then Tenzon held the shirt over Izuka to wake him up. But Suzuki attacks Tenzon. Suzuki grabs a chair, Izuka stands in the way, and the audience is reacting so loudly. They're like, finally, he's going to stand up for Tenzon. And he takes the chair from Suzuki, and then he turns around and he nails Tenzon. He wanted to hit him himself, and the DQ is called at 12.56. And then on top of it, he hits poor Tenzon in the throat with the iron fingers, and he rips up the friend's shirt and stomps on it. Mm. <laughs> I was entertained by this. I'm really digging this story. Like, especially for, like, an undercard opening match angle between, like, two aging veterans. I find it really captivating. I think Izuka does a great job, like, playing, you know, this beast dealing with this uh, Jekyll and Hyde inner turmoil. Like, he's he's the Hulk. And he's Bruce Banner trying to fight out from, from outside of, 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 of the Hulk. Uh, and I think, like, that little moment of him holding that chair, you can kind of sense... That maybe there was some internal struggle before he he decided to hit Tenzan with the chair. I thought Izuka played it really well. I think Tenzan's great in this feud as well. So they have no more shows until the New Japan Road Show on the twenty first, which is Izuka's retirement show. So mm -hmm. I think you have to like you can't just announce a team. So I think they have to do Tenzan versus Izuka, and it ends with. I guess you could have Tenzon so, so, win. So, so only one more show left? The next show is the retirement show. Oh, wow. Hmm. So you, you don't have anything more to build this to. You just got to announce something. So 
I'm thinking perhaps you either do a tag match or you do a singles match, but it's all in the post-match where maybe you do Suzuki and Izuka against Tenzan and Kojima, and after the match, Suzuki wants to do something heinous to Tenzan, and that's when Izuka finally stops him. But that means they won't get a chance to team, unfortunately. But they'll go off into the sunset as friends. Right. Like it says on the shirt. Yes. Hey, brother. Yeah. Maybe I it'll thought... maybe it'll turn out that Izuka like patched the shirt together and wow. he's wearing like this torn up shirt to to be uh to represent their friendship that it's been shat- it's been torn apart, but slowly they can they can mend it. Yes. I'm digging this. I I look forward to seeing that retirement match. And then maybe maybe what's going to happen is oh, you really got your thinking cap on. Minoru Suzuki has to do something like really heinous to wake up Izuka. So maybe instead of the iron fingers or a chair, Suzuki goes under the ring and he pulls out a giant hatchet. And he's going to kill Tenzon oh my on God. New Japan World. Jesus. And then oh, man. Izuka just can't. He can't stay under this spell any longer. And he attacks Suzuki. And together, him and Tenzon wrestle the, the hatchet away. And they go off. And together, they bury it. Oh, wow. Okay. Done. Wonderful. And that's the last time you've ever seen Izuka again. Hey, Harold May, this guy is available. Kato. Kato who? That'll be my angle of the year if they do it. I'll give them angle of the year. I don't care what happens the rest of the year. Jeez, wow. I'll just write down my pick right now. Evil and Sonata versus Shota Umino and Ayato Yoshida. Non-title match uh, with our tag champions. Um, Yoshida fired up on Evil and then delivering all these kicks to Sonata. They double-teamed Sonata. The story of this match was that this should have been a bludgeoning by Evil and Sonata. And instead, Umino and Yoshida got in way more offense. And Don Callis, I don't know if maybe this is just him being uh, more critical. He was calling out anyone on this show who didn't lay in their, their punches or their chops. Like he called out like the bullshit offense all over on this show. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't think that's any sort of direction. I think that's just. Oh, that's like just him. His, his style of yeah. commentary. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are not getting uh, anyone in their earpiece <laughs> telling them, ah, oh, that, that didn't look good. Um, I, I, and- I, don't, I don't mind that at times because, like, I think, like, if this was a real sport, you would have, like, Dominic Cruz, you know, for instance, pick, picking, like, you know, perhaps what he considers bad technique. I Gra- guess Graves and Cole do it a lot, too. Like, when something looks bad, they'll, they'll say, like, he didn't get all of that. I mean, they, they, don't, don't, go just, as, they as- don't blindly sell when something looks bad. But that's like, those are for botches. Like, this is not somebody calling a botch. This is just somebody calling on somebody else's, like, technique and poor training, I guess. That chop looked like shit. Yeah. Uh, they eventually hit the magic killer onto Umino and won in uh, 10.09. But they really put this over as a moral victory and that the champions took more damage than they should have. Well, it's, it's every Young Lions match. Um, yeah. I think, uh, to me, a pretty... Um, you know, pretty pretty good little young lines match. I think uh, Sonata and Umino looked really good in there together. Not much more. Yeah, I, I had a little higher expectations for this, 
It was it was fine. It was good. Yeah, Umino was kind of uh, the standout. Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi took on Taichi, El Desperado, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Naito had his shoulder all taped up, and Suzuki Gun targeted that. Don Callis said, there is nothing redeeming about Taichi. Bad hair and terrible gear. Oh, come on. I think he looks great. I think his music is awesome. Nothing redeeming about this guy. Um, Takagi caught Kanemaru as he went for the deep impact, ducked the pumping bomber, and then Takagi had his eyes gouged. Uh, Taichi then stopped Gloria. Bushi flew to the floor with a de- uh, Hurricane Ron onto Desperado, and then Takagi fired up on Kanemaru, pumping bomber. Then Naito hit the Destino, pinning Kanemaru, 11 minutes and 6 seconds. And then afterwards, Naito and Taichi exchanged words, which I could not um, I could not read their lips, but I'm hoping it translated to, do you want to wrestle again? <laughs> not really. Cool. We're done? Yeah, we're done. Uh, that's funny. That was it. I don't know what more there is to gain from, from this combination. You know, certainly I can't see them building to another match um, because the last one was just not that great. Um I um correct me if I'm wrong but like I was on Chris Charlton's timeline as I usually am for uh, after these shows just to kind of uh check out all the translations and there's <laughs> thanks for I just saw your tweet. <laughs> That's hilarious. Hello at way0937. That's very funny. Uh let me respond. How are you? God, look at all these comments I got on this. God, Jesus, 26 people who don't even know what we're talking about. No, they won't get it until tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, so so Tai Chi, like, tweeted something out following this match. And from the... I was still even a little bit confused, even after, like, uh, what Chris quote tweeted. Especially... He, anyway, but it seems to allude to perhaps some type of new arrival that will join him. That will know. join L.I.J.? Uh, no, Suzuki-gun, or specifically oh. Taichi. Because I was going to say, L.I.J., it would make sense that, that Roosh is going to, at some point, come over here. Mm, no, I don't, I don't know. What, I don't think that's what this was referring to. But Anyway. Yeah, um, I thought it was a pretty average multi-man match. A great finish, though, with all of uh, L.I.J. stacking all their finishers. To me, Shingo Takagi continues to be the standout of this group. I think ever since he's been in, he's been like, he feels like he's been like the workhorse of the team. So, uh, really great addition. I think the, um, you know, the door is open now for him to have a really solid junior heavyweight singles run. Now that Kushida has gone. Cause that junior heavyweight division, it, it really needs something. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, they also had Rapongi three K show up and, challenged Takagi and Bushi for the next junior heavyweight tag title shot. So that looks to be future match coming out of this. So are they heels now? Or are they just in this feud? Because it's L.I.J. Um, I guess they'll kind of default they got to that. Booed. Yeah, they got they booed did get here. booed, yeah. How dare you honorably challenge the champions face-to-face. <laughs> Tomaki Honma and Yoshihashi took on Chase Owens and Yujiro. They had the advantage on Honma from the beginning. Honma's definitely... A lot slower just in getting around, but he did work the majority of this match. Built up to him hitting a Kokeshi that the crowd went nuts for. Double team neckbreaker then was hit onto Honma, and Owens hit the package pile driver and won the match. 9.38, and they were playing up Honma's past neck issues, obviously, that he was out for all that time with. And Owens told the announcers, New Year, 
knew me, and the Bullet Club was going to win all their matches tonight, which was not true. They did not win all their matches. They won the important ones. Not which semi-made. One, which one didn't they? Oh, yeah. Folly. Yeah, okay. Folly lost. Yeah, that's, that's the only one. Yeah. But they did pretty well otherwise. The the ones with the belts, they, they did. Uh, very average match. Very average. I would consider this to be... Uh, I mean, there there was actually quite a bit of filler, I, I, cons- I thought, on this show. But this one, maybe more so than others. New Japan's got, at the moment, like, uh, of the these new beginning shows, it's been, like, the hot main event... The hot, like, Young Lions opener, and it's a lot of the stuff in the middle that's kind of just, it just feels like it's kind of spinning its wheels at the moment. Like, there's, everything's fine, but nothing is great, and it's just missing, you know, that's where I think you really feel, um, not just the elite departures, but these are shows where you don't have Marty Skrull, you don't have Will Ospreay, you don't have Hiromu Takahashi, you don't have like Zach's, Zach's not on these shows. Zach's not on this show as well. Like that's where, um, and you didn't have Kota Bushi either. So it's 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 a big compounding loss that they have at the moment, uh, whether it be permanent or temporary uh, absences. Uh, speaking of which, Kota Bushi then came out and he announces that he is here in New Japan. He is not going anywhere, and this place went insane for this announcement. He proceeded to announce that he is entering the New Japan Cup. And my favorite line, I will try my best. <laughs> this guy felt like the number one babyface in this company. This was uh, like a superstar level reaction that Kotobushi received. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think especially with Kenny not being there now, he really kind of stands to gain a lot of the of that attention and that spotlight. Um, this is an enormous, enormous win for New Japan. Mm-hmm. That yeah. he is sticking around, and I, I was asking just to uh, get clarification if he has signed. Uh, I've not received that confirmation yet. I know it's been reported out there, uh, but if true, if he has now signed on, uh, that's just that's enormous for New so Japan. So are we talking? We're talking full time potentially, possibly. Like, yes. Ex- yeah. Which I think was is means that he 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 must be at least being be considered right now for a title run. Uh, Surely that was, you know, probably one of the main factors keeping him away from uh, winning the G1, you know, main eventing the Tokyo Dome and and even winning the championship belt was the fact that he was just a freelancer. But now that if that is out of the way, we could potentially see much bigger matchups and maybe even a championship run with Kodo Bushi. Yeah, he would have been an enormous loss right now. Yeah. Huge loss. So Following that is the Gorillas of Destiny against Togi Makabe and Toru Yano. Sorry, so, so just even this far out, um, do you see him as the favorite for the New Japan Cup and therefore Madison Square Garden? I think it's him and Okada in the New Japan Cup. And I, I could see him winning it. Um, you know, if the... Well, we'll get into it more in the main okay. event. But but yeah. I would say that, yeah. I, I would say those two for sure are are the clear favorites. I, I can't see anyone else coming out of that as the winner. The Gorillas of Destiny versus Togi Makabe and Yano. Uh, the Gorillas attacked him on the ramp. There was water poured on Yano. By and- the way, um, the Tamatanga whole yes. good guy thing is over. Uh, evidently, at some point... It was on I the don't... weekend in Osaka that they, they did that okay. angle. So he snapped, and he's no longer a good guy. He's now, in fact, worse than he ever was before. Ugh. What What is- happened? How did he snap? Um, 
I didn't see the show, actually. I didn't see how yeah. the angle uh, played out. But it was done on, I think it was Saturday's card in Osaka. Right. That he just okay. went, went wild. Um, they double-team Yano until the bell starts. Giotto's getting involved. He tripped Makabe. Makabe eventually uh, came in. Uh, this was after Tamatonga took Yano into the crowd. And he grabbed the woman's purse. And he attacked Yano with the purse. And then to just really drive home the point that he's a bigger asshole than ever. He just dumped the contents of the purse out onto the floor. What a terrible human being. Like, Jesus Christ. Some Those young lines better be working overtime to pick up every single item and organize that lady's purse the proper way. And let's hope that there there was nothing embarrassing or personal that came out of that purse because that's what a, what a dick thing to do. He's definitely not a good guy anymore. Like, I don't carry around a purse, but if I had... Like a fanny pack with my phone in it, loose change, my wallet with cards in it, and someone just randomly just shook it and emptied all that, I'd lose it. I would really lose it. Yeah. This was worse than like when he got in the face of that guy during the G1. Oh, and then remember that, that? that dude like uh, got kicked out. Yeah. Makabe was tagged in with Loa, and then later uh, Yano removed the padding. He attacked Tamatonga with the padding, and Giotto attacked with a kendo stick, and it ended up with a gun stun delivered by Tamatonga. Yano then shoved Tangaloa into Tamatonga, which knocked down the referee, Marty Asami, and a low blow was delivered to Loa. Tamatonga then nailed Yano with the kendo stick and a gun stun to win in 944. And then Tama just went after all the young boys and attacked them with kendo sticks. Then he attacked a Japanese announcer, and Don Callis was just cackling. He loved this. He loved to watch this assault being committed by Tamatonga. He attacked the announcer with a kendo stick, like with like a pretty good shot too. And uh, he nailed this guy. Yeah, poor guy. Like the announcer, all of a sudden having to sell, you know. And the way he sold was just like laid still in his chair. But then, like on the ramp, he shoved the cameraman off the ramp. Yeah, which didn't uh, Don Callis state that the camera cost $40,000? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's that much, but they're very expensive. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually more close close to 40000 But um, he's not a good guy anymore. I don't know. I didn't see the, the snap. I didn't see that angle. But now that it's happened, it feels like it was a whole lot of work for, like, a pretty... Meh outcome. You know? He's uh he does meaner things. I guess it's somewhat interesting. Better than not doing anything, I suppose. But uh Yeah, I guess so. I guess that was it. Like this was like a month for this kind of meaner version of Tamatanga. That's gonna be the post credit scene is Tenzan and Izuka seeing that the hatchet has been unburied and they look at each other. They're like, Where'd the hatchet go? And then, boom, Tamatonga beheads them. Yeah. Kills off Izuka and Tenzon. They're gone. Wow. They're written off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Taiji Ishimori <laughs> versus Ryusuke Taguchi. I was done. I have no more to f- continue on that. Me too. IWGP junior heavyweight title. Taguchi was out in his green Luigi overalls for his entrance. Yeah. I think this was a... Was this not a reference to Ishimori? Or were the overalls from him, and it was just a headset? Um, so the headset was a reference to Ishimori from his Dragon Gate days in the boy band faction, the Sailor Boys. 
I'm just wondering where he got these green overalls. He did look like Luigi, like with that, with the facial hair and everything. Taguchi early on does his dance, which I think is really, it's quite the dance. And I think this was also the part of the Sailor Boys thing too. Well, he he's oh. done this a, a bunch of times, mocking oh, okay, Ishimori. Okay. I, I think it's specific to Ishimori. And then Ishimori does a springboard backflip with Taguchi on the floor, and Ishimori starts doing the dance, and the place went nuts. Yeah, I, I did not watch him in the in the uh, Sailor Boys in the Dragon Gate days, but um, the fact that they would throw so much reference to it in a, on New Japan shows just to me that like almost everybody was familiar with with uh, this Dragon Gate gimmick. Taguchi then got serious and wrestled the rest of the match pretty serious. Uh, he called for the Terminator dive and landed the Topekon Hero. Ishimori then missed a double knees into the corner, uh, and Taguchi keeps going back to the ankle lock, and he's applying it, he reapplies it, and Ishimori is just screaming until he gets to the rope. Dodon gets blocked, and he hits the bloody cross for the first time onto Taguchi, but Taguchi recovers, again goes back to the ankle lock, and the audience is really getting into this, and he pulled him by the ankle and then hit the Dodon for a huge near fall. It was the big near fall of the match. Ishimori recovered, running knees. Taguchi goes for the Dodon again, and it gets countered into a second bloody cross, and Ishimori wins in 16 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, I thought this turned into a really entertaining match, and I, I enjoy when Taguchi gets to have like a really solid outing, and I, I, I like the match. I thought this was one of the better matches on the card. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought this was a, uh, this was a, a very good match. Uh, the crowd was really with them for all of the near falls. Uh, they really wanted Taguchi to win. And I thought he did really well. I'm not typically a big fan of him, but I thought he was a great change of pace from your typical challengers in the in the junior heavyweight division. A lot more personality, a lot more kind of you know comedy, obviously. And uh, this crowd ate it up, and it made it gave Ishimori a, a better spotlight uh, than usual. It, like people seem to just like again care more about this match than maybe some of his other challengers. Um, so. I, I get the sense that they're really trying to strap the rocket on him and, and giving him this like lengthy run by having him go through a whole roster of opponents. Then Ishimori is confronted by Jushin Thunder Liger, who is accepting a challenge that was laid out by Ishimori uh, for a future junior heavyweight title match, which yeah. I think would make a lot of sense to do on the anniversary show in March. Sure. Yeah. Um. I think, of course, you know, I don't see Liger winning, but I think it's a great way, again, to build Ishimori by giving him wins over name opponents. So I look forward to it. I'm excited to see Liger in a big match again. Uh, usually at the anniversary show, they do um, the heavyweight champion versus the junior heavyweight champion or, you know, so something to that effect. And I, to me this year, it's like, I don't know, Jay when White and Taiji Ishimori doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. When, when is that show? That is in March. It's like the first week of March. Is it? It's af, so it's um, after. Um, or sorry, before um, MSG. Yes. Yeah. The, they they have the anniversary tour, and that builds up to the one big anniversary show, which is it's not a major major show. It's right. it's kind of the big show of you know that tour, and so then you, we go right into the New Japan Cup a few so days later. So you don't think they'll do White versus Ishimori, even though that's tradition? I guess it's not. I mean, they they could. It just seems it's so. There's, it feels like a really cool the, match. They're in the same faction. It's, they're in the, in the same faction. It just seems like it's 
I don't know. It's it's right. not the match that makes a whole lot of sense to me. I'm sure they could just say like, "Hey, we refuse to do this. Screw you, New Japan." Yeah, yeah. I think that you know Ishimori and Liger, I think, kind of works better for that. Um, right. Then Kazuchika Okada took on Bad Luck Folly. This match was second from the top, and Folly uh, took over early on. Um, Okada just so popular um, coming out, and the crowd just like always someone that's very popular, but he just seems like he's at a higher level since ditching the pants and just um, back to his old ways now. Um, there was this huge back body drop by Fale, and Okada sold it heavily. He was back in at 19, so Fale just focused on the back for a long period of time. Okada came back, belly to back, neck breaker, called for the rainmaker, and Fale cut him off with a lariat and splash. Bad luck ball gets blocked, and Okada hit a missile drop kick. This was when Chase Owens showed up to distract Okada as he was going for a tombstone, and Okada went to go hit Fale, and he hit Red Shoes by mistake, but it was one where he had more than enough time to hold up here. It was one of those really awkward ref bumps. Yujiro and Owens then run in. They attack Okada. Yoshihashi runs down, and everyone's just you know holding their breath that Yoshihashi just makes it into the ring, and he did, thankfully. Um, Bad Luck Fall is blocked again. Then he blocks the grenade. There's a spinning rainmaker that gets stopped. Folly hits the grenade. Okada kicks out of the grenade. And then he uh, there's a drop kick on the turnbuckle by Okada. Superplex hurts his back in the process, but then hits the spinning rainmaker and the regular version to pin Folly. 18 minutes, 9 seconds. I enjoyed this as well. I think Okada is great at working with Bad Luck Folly. He's really able to show the struggle of dealing with the extra weight of his opponent really, really well. So, I mean, the match played like like a far more athletic and modern version of like your, you know, Andre versus Hogan type of match. Okada, I thought, was just great here. Yeah, Okada was great. This is the best match you're going to get out of Fale. And I, I thought Fale worked really hard here. Like, I thought he was really on his A game for this. Like, he knew this was a big match. He doesn't have a whole lot of these big singles matches. I thought, you know, he did his part. This wasn't um, a big over-the-top high-end Okada style main event but this was you know perfectly shouldn't be like it no well, it I doesn't mean, need to be and I mean it should be him trying to like slay the giant you know yeah the the story worked and I think they put a little bit of doubt maybe into the finish I probably not much with Okada coming off that loss to Jay White at the dome but no nonetheless I I, I thought it was good for what it was then the main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi defending the IWGP heavyweight title against Jay White. It's Tanahashi's first title defense since winning the title from Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. And right at the beginning, Jay White is targeting the right knee. And Tanahashi is defending early on. He goes after Ghetto at one point, And this distraction allows White to suplex him from behind to the floor and his knee buckles upon landing. And then Kevin Kelly explains that the right knee is even worse than the left knee. Both knees are completely screwed up. And White starts going to town on his knee. He's attacking it at ringside. He then takes a straight kick to the knee from Tanahashi. So Jay, Jay White is now affected by his left knee being taken out. And each guy was just trying to come up with a strategy to uh, subdue the other with their knee strike. Uh, White gets a chair, but that's stopped by Tanahashi, and they did these long sequence of counters, ending with a twist and shout. Ghetto then takes this back elbow on the apron, and he took the best bump. 
just falling completely backwards onto the edge of the apron. This was a bump of beauty from Ghetto. Tanahashi hits the high fly flow onto Jay White's back, but then he goes for the proper version, misses it, and in the process, injures his knee after taking the big risk. And this opens the door for White to do the inverted dragon screw, and he applies the TTO, the Tanahashi tap out. And Tanahashi is fighting and fighting to the rope. This audience is at the edge of their seats, yelling for Tanahashi. And the announcers are questioning if Red Shoes should stop the match and all the pressure that he would have to try and save Tanahashi's health. White continues with a a DVD and a reverse DDT uh, called the DVDDT. Hit a key crusher, and Tanahashi kicks out. What if he added the TTO to the end of the... DVD, DVD. Oh, if he finished it and then turned it into the uh, the submission. Yeah, the DVTTTO. DVDDTTO. V- DVDDTTO. Yeah. That's way too much. Uh, Tanahashi kicked out. Don Callis called it one of the weakest kickouts he's ever seen from Hiroshi Tanahashi. And the Blade Runner gets countered with an inside cradle, which was the finish from King of Pro Wrestling last October, which the announcers were right on top of to call. Um, Tanahashi then used the Texas Cloverleaf and he sits down on it and the rope break is made, hits a Styles Clash and then a near fall off a Dragon Suplex and Kala says Tanahashi's knee may have given out on the bridge off of the Dragon Suplex. Great, great call to the the knee being affected and offsetting Tanahashi's offense here from Jay White wearing it down. And he goes to the top rope And he's setting up for the high fly flow with Jay White staggered standing. And as Tanahashi leaps off the top, he's caught with the Blade Runner upon landing. And Jay White pins Hiroshi Tanahashi. 30 minutes and 29 seconds. Jay White is the new champion. And how about this for a trivia? Not only is this the third time that Tanahashi has lost the title at New Beginning, he has lost the title on this very date twice. February 11th has not been kind to him. He is cursed. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, on that note, I feel like they, you know, even prior to the beginning of this match, uh, again, through their uh, video features, they did a great job reminding you of the Rainmaker shock and the last time that he lost in this fashion um, to make you really believe that, hey, like they could book this way again. And that's exactly what they did. So they are calling this one the uh, Switchblade shock. And I they should have called it the title Switchblade. Well, um, again, uh, Harold May, uh, John at postwrestling.com if you want to get in touch with this guy. Uh, a good match. I thought, you know, Tanahashi, again, his selling is so amazing. You really felt for him. I thought, again, on this tour, they did a great job building up that TTO so that, and, and throughout the whole match, you know, selling you on Tanahashi's knee injury so that by the point he finally locks in that move, um, you just like, it's it's a great feeling and it's incredible to watch this guy like struggle in that submission maneuver. So I think it, I was a little disappointed. I thought Tanahashi would keep the belt here because I felt like he had a few more title defenses within him. But I think if you're looking to make an unpredictable statement with a new star, this is how you do it. Uh, I have so much respect for Gato's booking that I I really do have a ton of faith in how he's going to tell this Jay White story. I really like this match. Uh I, I was a big fan of it. I thought it was maybe Jay White's best performance. I thought he was excellent in this match. 
Um, I do see that, you know, there's a lot of people that are negative on this. And I expected that when we talked about this last week, that people would think it's it's too soon. And yeah, you're dangling potential matches that you could have done with Tanahashi, with with Okada, with uh, Chris Jericho. Um, Kota Ibushi is now back in the mix. I I understand that. But I also see that this is a year that you have to create new stars. And mm-hmm. I think I have a lot of confidence in, in Jay White. Like, I think I'm more high on him now than a lot of people are at the moment. I think he's improved so greatly since last summer. And I, I'm really, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I hope that, because uh, Dave Meltzer was talking about this, that in speaking with Kenny Omega, he had outlined that the the original plan had been Omega retains at Wrestle Kingdom and then loses to Okada at Madison Square Garden. So if it is just simply plugging in Jay White to be the surrogate to get the title to Okada at Madison Square Garden, I, I, I will be more negative on this because I think that could be harmful to Jay White to have such a short title reign. Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately he is just playing Kenny Omega for two months to get this title onto Okada. And yeah, I I would be more negative if that's the outcome here. And we'll obviously know if Okada wins the title, then that's what Jay White is doing. And if not, they have thrown their plans out the window and they're going to go with Jay White. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think that I'm I'm with you. I feel like if if Jay White just wins, this is a big moment, and he loses in two months. I think that hurts him more than this actually helped him. Um, I I. I I feel like you could have done like Okada Tanahashi if your goal is to get the belt on Okada at Madison Square Garden. Um, but the fact that Jay White won it to me tells me that I, I feel like they would keep the belt on him a little longer. Uh, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing because, you know, obviously they had no plans to go to Tanahashi and Okada again, even before Kenny left, um, because that apparently was not the plan after doing all those matches last year that if you did want to call an audible, you could have just had Tanahashi keep the title until the garden, which that's such a huge match to give to that audience in New York, but obviously it was not in the plans. And that tells me that um, it could be something as Jay White holding this. I, I would think that Jay White should have a lengthy run because I think he really needs it. I think yeah. that two months would be, that would be not impossible to come back from. He's in a company that's very well booked. I wouldn't just call it a, a stupid idea, but it would be one that I, I think it'd be a big obstacle that Jay White would have to overcome such a short title reign that you don't really. It's kind of like Naito's title win three years ago that to this day, I don't quite understand giving him just the two month title reign. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's almost like the title's always been elusive to, to Naito. He either needs it or he doesn't need it. But that two two month title reign. I never quite understood why they did that even now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What do you think of the show overall? Um, the show came down to me to um, the main event. I think that's largely what is going to get remembered on this show. I thought it was, I thought it was better than the last two new beginning shows we watched. It was certainly the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's like largely my praise is uh, reserved for, the final three matches, which I think all delivered in, in different ways, but I was a big fan of the main event, maybe more than most. And I really liked that junior heavyweight title match. And the rest of the show was kind of just a, it was a new Japan undercard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I thought the three singles matches were satisfying. Um, I don't think Okada Fale nor Ishimori Taguchi are going to make any kind of end of year list. 
but I think uh, the main event certainly is worth going out of, out of your way to see because it's uh, somewhat historical, or it's a big deal at least, anytime a New Japan uh, IWGP champion is crowned. So and I thought it was a very good match. Um, it's really interesting. I really like the booking. To me, that's like the, the biggest story that comes out of this, and the fact that you know something like this happens to me is a bit daring and really keeps you guessing about what the next few matches are going to be on the calendar year for New Japan. So I love it. I'm, I'm invested. I, I think that New Japan needed something like this. Mm-hmm. I thought that they they do need a bit of a, a shot in the arm. And w- with Jay White, it also opens up like there's a lot of interesting matches that you have beyond, you know, you have the Okada rematch that is there. And I'm uh, I'm I'm sure that, you know, by that night, they knew Kenny Omega was probably gone. They had to have known by that point that having Jay White win that night, obviously that builds to the eventual rematch with Okada that I think Okada has to win. So I'd almost hold off on that match. And then you have Will Ospreay, you have Kota Ibushi, you have Tetsuya Naito. Like these are all a lot of, you know, big matches that you can do. And Jay White, I I think he can play that heel to to a top end level. It's a huge test, though, for Jay White, because I mean, enormous. Look at like look at the, the 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 mountain, the Mount Rushmore of people that he's following as IWGP champion between Tanahashi and Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada and even Naito on top of that list. I mean, all these guys uh, prior to Jay White are kind of re- real proven commodities who can headline a card and deliver a very satisfying five star level, four and a half, four and a quarter star level main event. Jay White, I I would say, is still very largely untested. So um, it certainly is an experiment. Um, we'll see. You know, he'll have very high caliber opponents, but can he do it, let's say, you know, with a, with a, somebody on the level of a Fale, for instance? You know, can he headline a show even with somebody like, um, I don't know, um, Juice Robinson? Because, you know, that, like, that match was great, but, like, on paper... Like, he's going to have to be a marquee name. And I think at the, the first few months, at least, he's going to need a lot of help from the undercard. It's interesting. There, there's a lot of similar um, reaction to this as the first time Okada won the title in 2012. Mm-hmm. He ended a long title reign of Tanahashi's, and a lot of people were questioning, like, is this guy anywhere ready? Like, it surprised a lot of people. And, you know, I, I think that's a really high bar to have to compare yourself to in Okada. Obviously, we know how that one turned out. But it's, I mean, Ghetto, when he sees guys, I mean, he goes all the way with them. And I, I'm, I admittedly, I, I think I'm more high on Jay White than a lot of people are. But I could see in six months, everyone kind of seeing Jay White being at this level. So, so we're gonna see. MSG, what do you see as the, uh, title match and i kind of like is this the main event i think it will be the main event um i could see it being jay white and koto Bushi. i think that's where i would go i would hold off on the okada match because i think okada has to win the next time they do have a match and that to me should be way down the road and i think that there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do like koto Bushi, here he is the guy that is going to He's lost his partner, and now he's he's on his own. He's like the the lone wolf going for this, and I think that that is a main event that'll be really dynamic for people. And that that would be what I would do. I would do Kota Ibushi. Yeah, uh, certainly between him and Okada, you have two very strong contenders. I mean, feels like Jay White Okada they just did uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. So 
I don't know if you want to go back to that right away, even though it's a different market. Jay White, Kotobushi, yeah, absolutely is the fresher match. Mm. Then what do you see? I mean, we're, we're kind of playing the game too early right now, predicting what that card is going to be, but I... Jay White Okotobushi feels big, but it doesn't feel like it's a level of like a, you know, what you would expect for like a MSG main event though, right? To me, it feels like it's an IC level or even like, you know, second from the top type of match. But, eh, you know, three mo- two months, they, I guess they can do a lot of work. I think one of the hardest things is that when you're coming off like an, a generation where you're, you're seeing like a Tanahashi and Okada, it's very difficult for the fan base to see the next generation of guys mm-hmm. in that same light and i think that sometimes it's you've got to remove kind of the the historical significance of who you're following because it's and and keep that that open mind that six months from now people may very well view jay white at, at that level maybe they won't like maybe this will not click but you have to make those attempts especially in a in a promotion like this where you have lost guys and you have to take risks and the risk is that this guy isn't going to work out and he's and they're very tied to stars unlike a WWE that I don't think they don't have a gun to their head to have to create all these superstars it's very much mm-hmm. a company that's that's run that's very self-sufficient now in terms of making money new japan it's booking these venues and being able to sell tickets and that's directly tied to how many stars you can create and they're in a environment where their stars are potentially leaving and you have to create new ones and you have to take really bold risks at times and this is a bold one so this year is going to be huge for jay white and i think that's going to be the number one project in new japan is jay white and having him be at that level where by the G1 people do see him at at that top level and can look back and say wow ghetto was two to three steps ahead of the public and now we see what he saw he has to really perform like at a very very elite level like no pun intended in ring you know to kind of be to earn the respect of the audience at the level of you know Kenny Omega or even a Kodo Bushi so he's really like you know what you said Tonight was perhaps the best performance you've seen from him. He's going to have to do this as his standard. You know, he's going to have to excel beyond, I think, what we saw here tonight on a, on a consistent basis in order to kind of fill those shoes. And again, huge shoes, shoes to fill, man. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open to seeing it, uh, how he does. Shall we go to feedback? Yes. Uh, we start off with the poll. Tonight's episode of Raw. I'm giving this show... A three. Oh. 4.84. Rough night. What was your favorite part of Raw? I what like the, the revi- I like the revival match, actually. That was very good. You know yeah. what? I should have gone higher than a three. Between that tag match and the Rollins promo, I thought those were the high points for me on the show. That was good. I, I did not care for the show long story with, with Becky apologizing. Like, imagine, like, staying in on a Monday night to, to, to see if this person will apologize. How lame. Well, it could have been, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an alternate ending. Hiroshi Tanahashi, will you apologize? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's start here with Adam. I call conspiracy. Ronda was wearing Reebok. Did Way give up on the Edge and Christian show? Also, can we get a giant clock in the building so everyone is not whispering how much time is left at the end of the last segment? It doesn't look like the Grammys out there. 
If there was a giant clock in there in the style of like a Grammy segment, then you're going to have photos of this clock. Like same reason why they don't have a teleprompter. Like the audience is going to see that on the other side of the ring. So anyway, I did not. I mean, I've, I kind of gave up on the Edge of Christian show, but I did watch last week's and I have to say, like, I feel like they do some really funny things on that show. And it's kind of unfortunate that maybe um, the first few episodes really lost me. But I think, um, like, watching last week's episode, there's a really funny gag about, like, uh, this one kind of got spread around, but it was about, like, uh, internet fans. And they were wearing Bullet Club shirts. And um, in the end, like, they're talking about a match. Uh, they're talking about pushing Samoa Joe. And then you even have Phillips and Graves uh, come on afterwards. And Graves asks Phillips, hey, what did you think of that match? And Tom says, um... I'll just wait to see what Melter says. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really stupid and I think like kind of petty, but I don't, I just look at it as like, like kind of like a harmless joke. And, uh, but the, the idea that people like the WWE is actually putting resources into like making these references to uh, such a niche audience tells you that they see power in that audience that's the audience for this show is people that are on the internet that would understand small references like that. So they, there, there are some funny things here and there. I think if it was a free show that was out on YouTube, it'd probably do even better. Um, but it's, it's certainly hit and miss. We got a Tyler from Orlando who says nothing special about tonight's episode. That six man tag was really long. Kurt Angle doesn't look comfortable doing anything. I don't like the Ronda, uh, the Becky-Ronda match becoming a three-way, but I will say, out of all the ways to introduce Charlotte into the match, having her be the McMahon favorite and prodigy wrestler is a decent story to tell. Tim from Alabama. Well, that was the most anticlimactic way to take Becky out of the match and add Charlotte to it. Clearly, Vince doesn't care what the fans want, which is a straight singles match between Becky and Ronda. Congrats to the Revival on becoming the Raw Tag Team Champions. And do you know if Sasha is going to be cleared for this Sunday, or are we going to see Bailey go the distance and win the Chamber on her own? Uh, I, I haven't heard an official status on Sasha Banks, um, but I, I mean, they did do like an injury angle with her. So, I mean, that kind of does cover them if they do have to write her out, I guess. Mm -hmm. And as far as like uh, adding Charlotte into it, I mean, I feel like, you know, it, beyond like just having Charlotte be attached to a main event of WrestleMania, I feel like part of the idea is so that Ronda doesn't come out of it looking like that heel, you know, right now all the heat is on Charlotte. Um, like Vince, you know, stated that, uh, she doesn't like Becky. He also stated that, that he doesn't like Ronda. So having Becky and Ronda be the baby faces against uh, Charlotte Flair, um, I guess in their minds kind of protects Ronda's image if they want to use her as a PR public face. Is it my turn? Yes. We go to Jalen from Pickering. Raw, the show was whatever, but I appreciate having a running storyline through the show and the use of backstage interviews in Gorilla especially right after matches, giving a real sports feel. On New Japan, any combination of LIJ always seems to have fun tag matches with nice teamwork, especially in George Sonata and Evil's basically wrestling like young lions that, has, that had mastered their basic moves. Question, have you guys seen OTT's video package on Devlin vs. Star? It's the best package you will see this year. 
Yes. I've seen it. Yeah. I, I wrote about it in one of my updates uh, last week, but I have not heard your thoughts about it, Way. It's incredible. I mean, I've heard people like yourself and, of course, our friends at British Wrestling Experience talk a lot about OTT. Uh, but in particular, it's their video work that I think um, has me most interested, even beyond the wrestling. And it really, like this video package, it was next level. Um, I'm sure with like a tenth of the budget of what a WWE production has. And I thought did a better job, a more like adult job than most of what you'll see on any wrestling company. So, well, it looks amazing. It feels awesome. And it does a great job of explaining the story between these two people. Um, that, who, who, uh, what's his name? The guy, who the editor. It? Yeah. Sean Ryan. Like, I'm sure that dude is already fielding bids right now from any of these major companies. Like as much as we talk about, uh, you know, who, who the big roster guys are that people are grabbing up. It's, it's people that work backstage on things like this, you know, editors, producers, like really talented people in the industry that I think are just as important to a company's success. So I hope uh, this guy, Sean makes a lot of money. I, if I was WWE, I would be, Offering this guy whatever he would want, and he's in charge of create of the creative direction of these of their production for NXT UK. Yeah, we'll see, man. Well, we, actually, uh, as a segue as well, uh, I'm going to have an interview uh, with Sean up on our website later this no week. No way! Yes, That's awesome. Yes, sweet. Um, yeah, we will have a Q and A with him uh, later this week up on the site. Awesome. Next up, we have. Uh, Ari from Montreal, he asks, had the Revival not asked for their release, do you think they would have been tag champions? What do you think of that? It's hard for me to, like, hard for us to say, but do you think it's any coincidence that, you know, they... No, I I don't think it's a coincidence that they're getting pushed now that they knew that they wanted to be pushed out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I can say there's a pretty good chance they wouldn't be tag champions right now if they had not requested releases also in the way that they're being pushed too i mean they they got a lengthy match on this show again you kind of saw the results of it with it not really connecting with the crowd but it's it's almost like you kind of feel like they're giving them what they want 30 minutes to go out there and just wrestle and by the end of the match they got the crowd but like they really i mean it certainly struggled like i kind of had the thought watching this them wrestle it's kind of like them wanting to like play you know jazz or classical music on a station that plays top 40 like you're dealing with an audience that might not necessarily care you're gonna have a bit more you got to have a bit more storyline you got to have a bit more kind of intense rivalry a bit more character in order to get your audience into the matches feels like they're giving them that airtime for these matches but just not fulfilling them with the storylines giving them the belts i mean they're the wwe raw tag team championships i don't think it means anything without interesting story without interesting character so is this going to be enough to get them to stop um i don't know threatening to quit maybe but um i hope that they are working on more so that we don't see reactions like we saw to the match today yeah and those four the from the reports i've seen they've been killing it on the house shows as well like they've been doing that match every night and it's been getting over really well okay great uh, we got an Andrew from Cape Breton who says, uh, tonight it felt like a huge step back for Becky. She didn't get 
her nuts cut off. Instead, she got her ovaries cut out. Oh my god. The whole apology thing proved my biggest fear that no one is above the McMahons. I'm also not totally against Charlotte in the match either, but her inclusion just seems lazy. If you compare it to 04, the reason Shawn Michaels believed he had a claim to be in the match was due to a draw at the Rumble and one on the last Raw of 2003. I get where the story is going, but the biggest issue in WWE right now is that there are no stars. Everyone is just the kids of the McMahon family, and tonight was another example of it. The only real saving grace on the show tonight was the tag title match, but based on how it's been portrayed on TV, the Raw tag division is the worst division in the entire company, so where does that leave us? I'm also trying to figure out what to name Tamina's top rope splash. I'm torn between low five flow and the minus five star frog splash. It's a really bad frog splash. I mean, that's if you're going to do a maneuver like that, it's going to be compared to other frog splashes, and it's a really tough one. Like, she's... I mean, it's going to be obviously because of the lineage. That's why she's doing it. But it is it is a tough jump. Yeah, Um, she's she's getting up there in age, Tamina. And I'm sure like uh, somebody who's dealt with many injuries, too. Uh, As for new beginning, he's it was good to see Jay White get the title. And it seems New Japan is going to do what they did during the last exodus of talent. It's also interesting to see Kota Ibushi talk about staying with New Japan for the next couple of years. I was thinking he would end up with AEW, but in typical Kota Ibushi fashion, only for a few matches before going off on his next journey. Maybe he'll get an impact wrestling run out of nowhere if he's still around in a few years. One negative of the shows is sometimes the undercards feel a bit drawn out and repetitive, especially some of the multi- multi-man matches. I get why they have them, but maybe they could freshen up some of the combinations a little bit better. I give the whole tour six overheard belly-to-belly suplexes out of ten beautiful bridges. Well, like on the note, like on on the undercard, I I thought like a real interesting thing that they've been doing is that stuff with with uh, Izuka's retirement. Like, yeah, it's, it's been all right. I mean, the, the the last two shows, I wasn't as much into it, but I thought today today's show, it worked. At least me. putting, like, some effort into a storyline, I think, really helps, you know? Yeah. So that the matches doesn't, don't just seem like they're just happening for the sake of having matches. Okay, next up here. We all knew that Charlotte would be added to the match, but damn, WWE needs to get this mentality that everyone should be on WrestleMania out of their minds. I know everyone works hard all year, but the sad fact is that some people should be left off. Everybody shouldn't get a payday. Also, with that little video of Kevin Owens, I hope they'll finally jump on board with him being a babyface. Other than that, a meh edition of Raw. Was that a babyface promo? That was more like goof promo. You know? <laughs> like, here's the guy who, who's, who can't do anything right, including not bowl. I kind of... You know, if if he's actually coming back in a month, I almost wish that they just... like Didn't had do this? Yeah, like to yeah. me, I I don't want to hear from him till he's back and like build it up in a traditional way that just you're, you're waiting to hear from him and you, you yeah. build up the suspense of what he's going to look like and what his demeanor is going to be. I mean, this was like, I don't know why this aired, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know why this aired. I don't know why like two months ago they aired the, the coming back soon, Sammy and Kevin vignettes. Remember those? Yeah. They aired for one week. Yep. Like if he was not going to be back until like march why did they air those back in december okay we uh what uh uh, who's that gerard gerard says hey guys i thought the new beginning in osaka was a great show ishimori versus taguchi was as good as as i expected taguchi can always be expected to be great in the new big matches in the few big matches he has a year. While Okada has had great matches with, with Fale in the past, Fale's effort lately has been lacking, but Okada still managed to get a good match out of him. 
Though I predicted Tanahashi would win, I was happy with how Jay's win went. It was a different match than recent New Japan main events because Jay was so dominant almost the entire match. Tanahashi becomes the first IWGP heavyweight champion in almost 10 years not to have a successful defense. The last was Manabu Nakanishi, who held the title 45 days in May to June 2009, coincidentally beating Tanahashi for the title and then dropping it back to him. I get the vibe with this kind of rare booking from New Japan that this was very much a decision based on the departure of Kenny Omega. With Jay winning and Kota Ibushi unexpectedly signing a new two-year contract with New Japan, I don't know where things are going now, but I'm actually excited by that. Some of the booking in New Japan has been obvious, even though the matches are usually phenomenal. Today's result appends things that people have been speculating like Okada versus Tanahashi at MSG, but I am willing to bet that White and Naito have been kept apart from each other for a reason. Hmm, interesting. All right, we continue here with Jesse from The Six. John, I know you're really into Jay White. I know a lot of people loved his match from the Tokyo Dome. Not me. I don't get it. For me, he comes off far too much as playing heel. He doesn't as well. He might as well come out and say, look at me, I'm a bad guy, and insult the local sports team. And not only is his character work from the 80s, so is his in-ring work. He's like Randy Orton, competent but slow and plodding. I don't think his sports entertainment style fits in a New Japan main event. The crowd was pretty quiet for that match. Him being the new Bullet Club leader is very NWO 2000. I worry that the office panicked when Kenny left and they just wanted the title back on another Westerner. But I'd love to be wrong. Please tell me what you see in Jay White. What am I missing? I don't know. I think Jay White, um, to me, turned a major corner with Juice Robinson at the Cow Palace show last year. And I thought he had a very good G1. And I think that he's, you know, he's fit the character for me. I thought the Okada match was awesome. I thought today's match was really solid. I think that it's very selective to say it was quiet because that crowd, uh, especially when Tanahashi was placed into those submissions, that the crowd was living and dying with that match. Um, I don't know. I Listen, I know that not everyone, it's his cup of tea. Um, but I also feel that the immediate comparisons are going to be made to Kenny Omega and I feel like six weeks ago everyone was talking about Kenny Omega and this failed title run that I didn't really agree with but it's it just seems that um I I just think that with Jay White it's going to be something where we're going to look back in, in six months and I'm pretty confident that he's going to impress a lot of people with this performance and I could be completely wrong and if I am I'll say so um mm. I don't know. Where, where are you at, Jay White? You seem to be in more like a neutral position. You don't seem yeah. to be um, completely sold, but also not um, disregarding him either. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like if you're talking about like the New Japan roster from like five, like like a month ago, I wouldn't put him in my top five. I don't like now. I don't even know if I think he maybe maybe he barely makes the top five as far as like in ring. Um, but I think where he excels, I like his promo a lot. Like he sounds very, to me, sounds good. Sounds confident. Sounds natural. Uh, I don't like, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people like, you know, who, who complain that he sounds like he's acting and like, I never really got that. Cause I, maybe cause I didn't really see much of his baby face run as a young lion. So I, to me, he's just always been this guy and I buy it. I buy that he's kind of like this weird deranged dude who like shoves barricades into Jim Ross's, you know, like into, into announcers and, and, you know, is, is not remorseful about it. Um, I would say like probably what the office sees in him though, is the fact that he's young. Like this dude is so young. How old is he? John J. White. 
God, I want to say 26. 26. This kid, this, he's 26. Like, so that means he's got a whole lot of mileage ahead of him. Uh, and that means a lot of time to improve as long as he continues on this trajectory, working with the people like he has. Um, I, you know, I, again, like he's not top five. I can't even say he's top five right now. If you include like the junior heavyweights and Osprey and, and, and all that stuff. But I think his promo is strong. Um, I think the character is, uh, has a great look. I think it's interesting. And I think he has plenty of time to improve in ring. He's going to be like, like, you know, with the rocket on him, he's going to have to accelerate at a much faster pace than probably anybody else has. Um, but I'm interested to see the results. Like I definitely don't shut the door on, on him. This could not be as good as any of the people that he's been preceding as the IWGP champion, but I don't think it'll be a, a failure at all. Okay, you're next. My turn. We go to Chris from Queensland, Australia, who says, Raw was okay tonight, but on to the main event. New beginning in Osaka. Even for myself being a huge fan of Jay White, I didn't expect a clean pinfall versus Tanahashi. I'll admit, I'm somewhat biased towards the New Zealand native, and he has truly grown into his character now. Question, with the amount of times the Jay's... With the amount of times Jay mentioned that he has beaten Okada... Omega and Tanahashi, do you believe White versus Naito would be the right choice for MSG? Uh, no, I, I think that's way too early. Naito has been one that they have held off on for, for so long, except for that that brief title run he had in 2016. I think it'd be way too soon to do Naito. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just don't like that idea of Naito being the first victim of Jay White because I do feel that White should not be dropping the title at the Garden. Um you can't throw it out completely, but I just feel that um, Naito, I think, has a role on that show. And it's doing something with, with Roosh and kind of this LIJ now at their complete full strength. Um, I kind of mm-hmm. like that utilization of him rather than Naito uh, being placed there. And it wouldn't be the match I would go with. You want to see Tai Chi versus Naito in MSG? Um, I don't think I need to see Tai Chi make the trip over here at all. Zeki from Toronto says, I think giving the Revival the championship is the worst move possible for WWE. At least before, they would jump over as undercard. They would jump over as undercard guys. Now they are perceived best in the division. Tag teams are going to be attracted by AEW's division for the roster and position on the card. The recent interest in tag teams by WWE is just a fad. Um, what does that mean? I don't mean? think it's making much difference at all. Yeah, what does that mean? I think he's just saying that they're going to be uh, more over now and believes that they're going to be destined for AEW regardless. And oh. I would say whether the tag titles are on them or whether they're not even used for the next year, I think if they walk into AEW, it'd be an enormous pop and it'd be the exact same. So um, why not? They're a really great tag team. So why don't you benefit from these guys because they're under contract for you for another year? So. And in the end, it's just the raw tag team belts. Like, it, I really, I mean, it's the highest ceiling that a, a tag team can, can reach in the WWE. But to the WWE, I don't think it really means all that much. They certainly don't care about it, or they haven't shown that much care for it. So just give it to them. 
And the last one is Lara from Vancouver. Says the White and Tanahashi was an utterly phenomenal match. Reminded me of the Rude Nakamura matches and how they used a knee to set up a pinfall finish. It really came off as a match from the 80s NWA era. Just incredible selling from Tanahashi and laser focus on body parts by White. I love that Jay White worked on both of Tanahashi's knees and his neck and head in order to soften him up for the Blade Runner. I'm way higher on this match than most, it seems, but I loved it. Even knowing the result going in, I still got into the near falls and to the finish. All right. That was all of the feedback. And what a packed show. Oh, my God. Look how long this was. I hated having, like, this New Japan show on a Monday. It was really tough. God. I woke up up today at um, 7 a.m. to start my – to watch this before I went to to go work today. Well, I made the terrible mistake of watching this right before Raw. Oh, God. I've been watching wrestling for, like, seven hours in a row, which, I mean, I've done in the past plenty of times, but – uh, and then recording at like two hour show afterwards, it's not a really fun process. So New Japan, stop doing these Monday shows, please. Well, now you can have a break. Yeah. Okay. I'm no wrestling until SmackDown. I hope. Have you started King of the Ring? I have not. Oh, dear. Well, uh, lots to come this week, as we mentioned on the show, including our review of King of the Ring 2002 for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, that is it for us. Way and I will be back on Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown and the double shot. More talking from myself and Way. I can't wait. I could start right now. Okay. Uh, tell us what happened. On- no. We'll spare everybody. All of that is coming out Tuesday night. In the meantime, you can head up to postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com to get all of the, the bonus content that drops on a on an almost daily basis. And of course, postwrestling.com slash live to grab your tickets for our live Q&A show happening on Sunday, April the 7th. Do us a favor. Go to store.postwrestling.com. Just just love us. That's all we want. Just love us. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, send us your love. Yeah. And ask us how we're doing from time to time. Yeah. Just give us a hi. Hi. How are you? No, please don't do that. Everybody, tell Way how your day is Jesus, going. 32 people have liked hello at Way0937. <laughs> and these are all people who have not yet heard this podcast. So uh, that includes Mark Romandi. <laughs> well, it'll all make sense by now. Okay. All right. Way is tired. It's time to go to bed. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>